Gordon's alive. <laughs> Taking it seriously, Jimmy. Um, I've I've got a double tea bag today. I haven't had a double for a little while, but today is special. So it's a double, which um, which I think we all know means fasten your seatbelts because things oh. are going to get real. So if if with that in mind, Jimmy, unless there was anything you wanted to you know catch up on, I'm happy to jump and dive in. Let's 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 dive well, <laughs> into the pipe. I, I flew into that one. Uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, well, we, welcome yeah, to yeah. the Giants. <laughs> what else is there that. to say? What else is there to say, Sheppy? Um, well, yes, yes. I think I just coughed over our intro, so I'll say welcome to Shoulders of Giants. <laughs> I'm Jimmy. Uh, the spluttering one, yes. Um, poor old Jimmy, a bit under the weather. Never mind. Um, and I'm Sheppy. I'm fine. So, you know, we're all doom and gloom around here. You know, some of us are just chipper. Um, so, so that's lovely. Uh, yes, Jimmy, what is this Shoulders of Giants? Shoulders of Giants, Sheppy, I'm so glad you asked because you. Uh, we are the <laughs> What If podcast for movie and some TV spin-offs, but movie sequels and prequels and, um, you know, lots of uh, celebration of existing IP, Sheppy, basically. And um, yes. we've come up with many, 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 many titles in our catalogue now, many titles. Uh, so, Good yeah. stuff. <laughs> yes yes good stuff lovely yes very well said jimmy um lovely and if so obviously well today uh, i yeah. i chose the installment and i chose the 1980 film flash gordon directed by mike hodges um now for some people that's like a childhood film uh, for some people they just they it's not so much it's very specific Maybe some people recently have come to it because of the more recent Thor films, and specifically Thor 3, Ragnarok, because of Taika obviously referencing that sort of colour palette and space adventure and weird stuff. So, you know, there's an audience for Flash Gordon. My question to you, Jimmy, is being a child of the 80s, growing up with Star Wars, for example, uh, what was your relationship to Flash Gordon? Sheppy, I uh, look. I loved it as a kid. I remember. I'm. I don't know whether this was. Well, my first exposure to it was at Christmas time. I remember it being on at Christmas time, specifically being at my nan's house and being allowed to watch it, and that had a formative experience on me. I, I would dare say, Flash Gordon was the most terrifying movie. That little Jimmy aged. This is before we'd even met Sheppy. I want to say yes. like, you know, I would have been between six or seven or something. You know, and, and I don't think it's my parents' fault. I think it's specifically Peter Duncan from Blue Peter's fault, <laughs> who on Blue Peter, I mean, God, YouTube will, will call me a liar, but Peter Duncan was a long-established Blue Peter presenter who'd That's said true. in the Blue Peter Christmas special from my memory of. 40 odd years ago um, that um, 
he was in Flash Gordon and he was excited about it. So kiddies, watch out. Pete's gonna Uncle Pete is gonna be in Flash I want Gordon. a wild a wild ride with Uncle Pete. <laughs> Leave the garden. But only just Arborio is very much the Blue Peter Garden. So he, he didn't have to go far. Come with me on this wild adventure with Pete and Flash Gordon. So. And um and of course, you know, then then Pete has to do his sort of tree trunk challenge or whatever. The, I can't even remember what it's called. I've just done a rewatch. Tree trunk challenge is very children's BBC, <laughs> or even, dare I say, children's ITV. That's pretty, you know, Stu Francis. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you, you've got your Pat Sharp sniffing at the door for that one. Yeah, <laughs> tree trunk challenge. Uh, yeah, and... Gets uh, gets bitten by the little green monster and uh, to save his madness gets bloody killed by Dalton. Prince <laughs> Borat. And, gets, and, yeah, he gets stabbed up. I mean, putting your hand into something and getting it, you know, I guess bitten and uh, it just terrified the living hell it out of me. It is a terrifying concept. Yeah. Like Russian wet. It is terrifying primeval fear going into this unknown hole right up to your shoulder. Oh. And the thing inside, which we're shown as the audience, is this kind of snot-filled, scorpion, twat, horrible thing, like a kind of a yeah. blob, but with this, you know, scorpion shit. And then it sticks you with this green shit that pops out of your wrist. Oh. And then you, you're going to go mad and, like, in agony for, like, two or three days. And sometimes longer if you've got a strong constitution. So then Dalton has to come along and say, oh, I, I will spare you the madness and stab you through the gut with his massive sword. You know, a simple beheading might have been nicer. <laughs> sticking it through my gut. But thanks anyway, Dalton. And the fact that it is Peter Duncan and watching that horrific scene through any lens, uh, watching that through the Duncan prism, which is a very good science book I would recommend. The Duncan <laughs> prism. Um, that is extra terrifying. That's taking an already terrifying concept and elevating it to an unprecedented level. So no wonder you turned out how you did, Jimmy, because that oh, is horrific. It was, and I tell you, I mean, were you equally scared when you first saw it as a kid of that bit or not really, um, was it? You were much <laughs> much hardier than me, generally. Obviously still that. are, but it's the- I yeah. was a scaredy cat. I was, I was a scaredy cat, I really was. But obviously that is horrific. But I don't think necessarily, and I and I was on the Peter Duncan bandwagon. I was on that train. I was there for We've been so long on Peter Duncan. <laughs> I was so there. Well, you have to, it's Flash Gordon. So with that in mind, but I think because I don't know, when Peter Duncan left Blue Peter, they presented him with the scorpion snot monster and said, This is your goodbye. Yeah. And I remember saying it was live, of course, Blue Peter. And I remember, oh no, and they showed the clip for the millionth time. So maybe I got desensitized to it because Blue Peter was always showing that clip. And then it would cut back immediately to Duncan sitting with those cats. So with that in mind, I think that took <laughs> me out of it. So I knew it was horrible, horrible. But actually, that just sort of sums up the tone of the Flash Gordon, which is it's a horrible flex. All of it is horrible. Yeah. I wouldn't like to spend time any of it, let alone sticking your arm in a snot scorpion Russian roulette tree trunk. Hole with Neil Buchanan girling in the corner. Well, no fuck. I mean, Richard O'Brien, he's right there. So yeah. there you go. Um, 
That's I didn't sleep also... that whole Christmas, Sheppy. I should just put the punctuation on that. It's just, just I thought with kid logic, that little green snotty thing was living in my pillow. Couldn't even put my <laughs> hand under my pillow. Like I, mean, I was just so scared to sleep and um, yeah. ruined Christmas. And like, can you imagine? Oh, like... you, your, your stocking <laughs> remained full. That's tragic. That is absolutely Dickensian. Uh, I love it. Um, but like, I mean, they'd never do that now, would they? They'd never had, like, I mean, that Flash Gordon now, what would it be, 15 maybe? Well, no, wouldn't it, it be was, PG it was, now, wouldn't it? It would be 12. But yeah. it was, it was obviously, not, it was 1980 when it was released. So presumably it was made in 79. But it has that thing from 70s films and also 80s films that Disney, for example, made really scary shit, live action shit in the 70s and 80s. Um, where, where they wouldn't now. And also stuff like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, was sort of marketed at kids, but it was also both of them had a bit of an edge. So, you know, so with that in mind, things were a bit more hardcore in that sort of way back then. And Flash Gordon, it's nasty, man. Like I said, I mean, Star Wars is a dangerous universe to live in, but I would live in most of the conditions that I've seen there, at least for a little while. Um, yeah. Whereas I wouldn't want to spend any time in Flash Gordon place. Like in, in on Earth, it looks like a fucking shithole. I think it's meant to be upstate New York and it's like, I don't know, sorry. But but it's horrible and it's wet <laughs> and it's grim. Then he, and then everything is rocky and it's arboreal, it's all swampy and gross and everything. And then you've got Ming's throne room and it's so garish and hard. You're like, ugh, and everything's you, know, you fall over, you're gonna break something. Everything's horrible. You go fucking Zoltan's place, you've got blessed bellowing in your ear. And if you take a wrong step, you're going to fall through that massive hole in the middle. Fucking Game of Thrones and shit. Just fall <laughs> for like 28 minutes and pass out. <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, so, no, Flash Gordon, it's a weird film and it's very uncomfortable. And I kind of respond to that. I kind of like it. I like how it makes me feel. It makes me feel dirty, Jim. It makes it dirty. And it always has. And that is what's that. It's a bit like, frankly, a little bit like Supergirl, because that's a weird film. And that's kind of uncomfortable a little bit in some ways. Uh, and, and also going to, you know, the Phantom Zone, it's all rocky and uncomfortable there. So maybe I'm making that connection too. But it's, yeah, there's a lot of like grime and misery. And also, not only the wood beast, of course, but also there's that giant fucking wood beast which Flash just runs into. He, he goes into the thick mud and he pulls himself out and then he goes, oh, phew, and it got out of the quick mud and then he's lying in a mother of one of those things and it's like, goes nuts and then Dalton shoots it and it bursts all over him and he gets covered in that white shit. Yeah, it's horrible. And then he's back horrible. to pristine Flash next scene, which is very yes, happy as well. Yes, that's true, that's true. He was always allowed a shower wherever he went. They had changed clothes for him, the Flash logo on it, and a shower, and with shampoo and a hairdryer, everywhere he went. Because it's, you know, it's Ming's law, isn't it? Ming's you, you asked early experience as well. I mean, as a young man, it's hard to get past uh, Princess Aura as well, right? I mean, wow. Well, there you go. That's something else worth mentioning. We've talked about the big guns. We've talked about Peter Duncan. And now it's time to move on to the almost as powerful sexual princess aura 
who is, oh, I always forget, Mutti, <laughs> which is awkward for you, is that? <laughs> I think that's, that's her name. I've is that right? The actress's down. name. Yeah, I have two somewhere. Yeah. Because she's yeah. back, Sheppy, spoiler alert. Yeah, well, yeah um, me too. Oh, hey, we didn't do, oh, yeah, Ornella Mutti. Yeah, so she's an Italian actress, yeah, so. Um, Princess Aura is, yes, she's one of the, you know, she's smouldering sex. She's very attractive. She's got, like, that little gimpy fella who she's pulling around. Nanook. Come along, Nanook. Um, and that's Deep Roy. So he's, you know, that he's in Star Trek. He's in. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Burton. So good for him. And he's fucking little Nanook being pulled around on a, on a collar and chain by Aura. Fucking fabulous. So that's all fun and games. And then she's messing around on that massive bed, which looks like it was stolen from Octopussy. So I like that as well. And by the <laughs> way, what about that green shit? It has no name. Many brave men died bringing it from the planet of pleasure, I think. Weird stuff. And um, everyone's that, into her, and everyone's doing stuff to try and, like, you know, win oh, her. Everyone. That everyone. poor doctor who gets fucked up, Clytus is into her. Um, Flash is, you know, he can't help it. But, you know, he's already met Dale, and he's got a connection with her. But nonetheless, how can you resist? She's, like, more Jessica Rabbit than Jessica Rabbit. Very impressive. Yeah. Um, it's so, so that's good stuff. Um, Jimbo. Other than the terrifying experience as a child that first Christmas, further on, did you continue to watch? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like tons. I want to say I've seen it 20 minimum. And and it's getting better with every watch. I did a rewatch for this, Sheppy, and it was wonderful. You know, I think prior to this probably was a cheeky uni one where I was a bit... Well, I'll say this, Jimmy. I believe... (laughs) <laughs> believe it or not you and me and several of your friends and several of my friends saw flash gordon unless i saw it with a bunch of your friends and some of my friends and you weren't there <laughs> it doesn't seem that likely uh, we saw flash gordon at the prince charles you know at, at around i don't know 2011 i'm gonna say yes i think you're right now i know i'm right it, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> God, there's so much of my life that's like a big black hole sometimes, Sheppy. But yes, <laughs> yes, now that you say it, I remember. I remember. I'm yeah, sure yeah. Stu was there. Yeah, yes, for sure. Yes, yeah. Yes, Amazing. Amazing. So, so there you go. Yeah. No, good stuff. Well, with that in mind, I, just from my perspective, I'd like to say I, I did see it as a kid, but I wasn't super traumatized by Anything, but I knew that it was a bit nasty. Also, there was Temple of Doom, which is nasty in a slightly different way. There's a lot of nasty shit that I was watching, and some of it I didn't like, or some of it did sort of give me nightmares. But nothing specific. I don't remember any specific nightmares about any of this. But I will say, for this specific film, I did watch it as a teenager, and then at university, I met some people two specific people who were also massive independent Flash Gordon fans. We all sort of came together with this lovely spirit of just like Flash Gordon happiness. It's like that and Highlander were pretty big for a few years there. But Flash Gordon actually, especially. And because it's got Dalton and he's being so fucking Dalton, he's being pure Dalton. Oh, oh my God, distilled. Um, so, so that's nice. It's got so many elements that are amazing. 
and the fact that it is so nasty and weird, and it's Mike Hodges who directed Get Carter. It's astonishing. Um, and obviously it was made because Star Wars and obviously, well, and some people will know George Lucas wanted to make a Flash Gordon, but he couldn't get the rights, so he did Star Wars. And then because of that, ironically or not, you know, millions, of course, of Star Wars things came out in the late 70s into the early 80s and so on and beyond, really. But, you know, loads of stuff. Flash Gordon's one of them, but it really does its own thing, to put it mildly. Um, and, you know, how do you top or get anywhere near John Williams' Star Wars score? Do you get James Horner to do something or Jerry Goldsmith? Or do you get Queen? And it's like, let's do that. It's genius. It's so it clever. So works, doesn't it? What a yes. score. What a score. We I don't think we mentioned that. Maybe we did. Maybe, maybe I hope we mentioned it on our soundtrack episode, but I'm sure we forgot to mention lots of things. But I hope we mentioned the Flash Gordon score and that song the main, obviously specifically is an amazing song. It shouldn't be, but it is. And it's the power of Queen and just it all comes together and it works for the film so well. Yeah. And let me also say the electric guitar wedding anthem is um, my favourite thing of all time. <laughs> yeah, totally. Ridiculous. I love it. Yeah. And um, I just want to say out of all order and continuity and context, well, uh, Philip Stone is the priest that the holy man gives at the ceremony, ring, ring, ring. And he was in Temple of Doom as the you know, British commander, and he was in The Shining as Grady, the previous, you know, the guy who hacked up the Twin Waters. And he was in Clockwork Orange, he was in a bunch of Kubrick. Good old Philip Stone, he was from Beats. And um, he, was, he was wonderful, and he was in this, just really randomly, as the priest. Until really such funny. time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ming is amazing. Like it's just as well like, as a character, as uh, you know, it's what it, it's it's just a wonderful one side of performance as well, isn't it? And I just, yes. yeah, what amazing, perfect casting. Like Angelica yeah. Houston as Morticia, it's just like what you were born for. Like Jeremy Brett was just waiting. That here I am. He's just what they were there for uh, to be these characters, and he, yeah, for the whole thing. Did you know the whole thing around um, uh, Sam J. Jones? Sam J. Jones? Am I making up his name? Let me re-look him up again. Yeah, Sam J. Jones, Jones. yeah. Is it Sam J. Jones? Yeah, extra J. Um, But how he fell out with the producers and they had to dub him from, like, a lot of the movie. I didn't even know that. But I knew that he was dubbed and the way I heard it was he turned up to the premiere and then he sat down and with his wife or whoever and they showed it and they had dubbed 90% of him and he had been, been told and so then he had a big barney with the producers because of that oh, okay um, so so that's what I heard and that's what I believe to be the most plausible explanation I want to so, um, bad luck yeah I, I'd love to see the life after flash doco that came out a couple of years ago I haven't seen it yet is it, have you seen it or not no I haven't I yeah. know and that would be very interesting I mean Sam Jones didn't have a stellar career. He's been in things like Ted and so forth off the back of being in Flash Gordon. Um, so he's had that coming back. But he was, you know, he was in LA Takedown, I think it was, oh, um, for like man. one tiny scene. He just got hit. It was either that, yeah, I think it was LA Takedown. Um, and, but it wasn't, you know, 
it wasn't a cameo it was just this like one tiny tiny moment so what a shame um speaking of which melody anderson who played dale arden brilliant in flash gordon i think she like a year or two late years you know, a year or two later after flash gordon she just pops up in the pilot of the 18 but it's not like special appearance pie and it's not an important role she's like in the airport giving the ticket you know, wait a minute that's melody anderson a few years ago she was in flash gordon how so now she's just like a a bit part day player like one liner and uh, oh. you know in the background on a, on the pilot of the 80 it's like oh she was in manamore but that probably didn't help um so <laughs> it's those two topple is topple and he's got his own thing going on and he came in like for example max von Sydow. they they had their own things going on and they came in to play these roles perfectly. Let me say about Topple. I love Topple and obviously Fiori's only. Um, so I've got those two. I mean, Fiddler on the Roof was never, I, I've never seen it actually, but I'm not, yeah, but it's great. And, good, and I know he did it on Broadway and it's a huge thing and he did lots of stuff. Heim Topple, good for him. Love Topple. As Zarkov, it's another case where it's like, oh my God, it's absolutely perfect casting. And he absolutely goes for it. Yeah. In, in yeah. the perfect way. Yeah, I, I love him. I, I'm getting a bit of feedback, Shep. I don't know why, but I, I love him uh, as well, Sheps. And I bloody, when, when it, just by way of a little tease on the sequels, like him and Ming are by far and away my best, you know, performances and characters yeah. and actors and everything. And so, like, you know, I do go off a one. <laughs> I do go off a one with those two. Um, in a way that I'll be honest happened very organically and I didn't see coming and uh, yeah yeah okay. it's a derailment that that Jimmy of 10 or 11 years old will be so proud of like and so oh, well, happy brilliant. but I don't know how uh, Sheppy and Jimmy of you know four decades okay. of being silly you know what if it makes it. you as 11 year old Jimmy happy then that's I think the most important thing <laughs> it's Flash Gordon so um, uh, that, that's very exciting and tantalizing Jimmy. I look forward to being furious. So, uh, so excellent. Just in terms of Flash Gordon then, um, was there anything else you wanted to say? Uh, I had a couple your... of notes from the rewatch, if you want me to just look at those quickly. Um, yes, lovely. Oh, at the very beginning, right? <laughs> they, they come in on their plane into Zarkov's lab. And I think they kill Munson with the blade, yes. like you know. Yes. And it's it's pretty... it's heavily heavily insinuated that the plane runs him over. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Dark. Yeah. Yes. So I, I love that, and then um, I love just generally. I laughed out loud on this occasion, probably more than we even bloody did in the Prince Charles. Like I was roaring on my own, Sheppy, and I think. <laughs> The specific tone that really made me laugh, beyond the obvious, like, really funny lines when they land and stuff, is just, I'm going to digress. Please indulge me, because I think this is funny, okay. but it may or may not be. But <laughs> when I was, uh, it's basically the no reaction is what made me laugh. When I was a young uh, man, is that where we're going with? Oh, amazing. I mean, I didn't even think of good old tops and his fiddling. But anyway... <laughs> The um, 
but yeah, so it's it's the actor's non-reaction to ridiculous stuff is really, <laughs> really tickles me. And when I was a young man, one of the first little mini school productions I was in was a thing called The Day in the Life of Titch Oldfield. And as part of that play, we had to pretend we were on a plane. And, um, and as a group, you know, we had a situation where the group line and maybe a couple of us in the chorus or whatever had to say, the wing's fallen off of the plane, you know, we're going through a storm. Wow. And then somebody else would have to say, <laughs> now the other one's gone, like, like, you know, on the other side of the plane. But what would happen, of course, in the, the, tra- the rehearsals and stuff, it would just be like, yeah, wing's fallen off. And then someone else would go, <laughs> yeah, the other one's gone. Like, you know what I mean? And the, the director of the play was going mad. He was like, the wing has fallen off. Like, can you actually deliver that line? Like, the wing has fallen off. And it's always made me think of, like, the... Um, you know, that that kind of no reaction is always funny to me. Like, you know, someone does something really deadpan. And you've got, like, in the first 10 minutes, three humans see, like, a lizard man get zapped. They see all sorts of stuff, and they're not, like, clutching each other. They just slowly keep moving forward into mixed palettes. And it really makes me happy and laugh. And all that is just wonderful. Um, I love the... Um, I love all the little flourishes, Sheppy. The zoo, like the upside down hourglass. I, I just really yeah. appreciated that on this this one, this viewing. Um, the font on Flash's tombstone is amazing. I put. <laughs> They give him his font for his tombstone. <laughs> that's, that's good service, frankly. It is, isn't it? Um, I loved. I mean, I, I'm I'm sure you might even touch on this again because it's it's a really it's got a scene that's got Sheppy written all over it in terms of awesomeness, but. The um, the attempted memory wipe scene of Zarkov is just a stunning moment in any movie. Like how they do it, what they do. Obviously, the double reveal of the fact that he just thought of random shit to get out of it. But like just the scene itself, when you think it's happening and happened, is is stunning, man. It's really affecting, and, and that's horrific as well. In yeah, it's taken right back to his memory to the fucking final scream in the womb being like fetus and even pre-fetus and it's like fucking hell but even there's also the shot where it's from his point of view it's a real robot wannabe and it's his period he's running into his mum's room and she's in bed she's obviously like four years old or something there's a very evocative image and I think most people can relate to it you know being little running into your parents room your parents are very like go out of bed and whatever um, and that's that's just a really nice touch as well, which I like. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's a lovely little flourish, isn't it? And the bits of his life, like obviously the Nazi stuff, and also this sort of accident and this party where the yeah. love of his life drowns in the swimming pool. It's so dark. Oh, gives me a shiver thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it could be anything, and they chose to do that, you know, the filmmakers, to show that of his life. It's good stuff. And yeah. then be like reprogrammed to level six. And then it's these horrific noises going through his brain. He's like, fucking hell. But he gets through it. And this is great, just actually to bring us back to Zarkov, just for a second. Um, he deals with it. He, he starts singing just as he's losing everything. He starts singing the songs from the Beatles and stuff. And he's thinking of like you know, Einstein's you know, theories and things and doing formulas. And he keeps his brain active and he retains stuff and it's like you can't beat the human spirit it armored me girl 
And he's like, good for you, Zarkov, because he's got a hell of a brain and a hell of a spirit, and he's fucking insane. But he goes with it, and it's his strength in this film. It's never his hindrance, you know? And he was right all along to get the rocket and do all of that. Although, apparently, it was his fault in the first place that brought me there. And he's like, precisely, Doctor. Oh, my God, it's the master. But, yeah, it's like, that's not his fault. Good for him for shouting out to the universe, you know? Even though it's foolish, I, I commend the human spirit. So Zarkov threw a stone into the lagoon of life and, you know, it got Ming's attention. It's bad luck, but good for him in the first place. And he wasn't beaten and he did get his memories back. Even though Zarkov is my favourite type of smart person in that he's an idiot as well. He's a massive idiot. Uh, like, he, after all of that, and Clytus is like, you know, name and rank, and he's like, Hans Zarkov, and they're like, what? And he's like, oh, uh, Adrian Zarkov, and then really puts his back in, like, serial number 59271, hell, man. And they're like, mm, okay. And it's like, oh, Zarkov, you idiot. You've just been through all of that. You kept your human spirits, and then you fumbled. It's like the great escape. Good luck. Thank you. But even worse than that, uh, Zarkov. So I love Zarkov, and he's so brave. <laughs> oh, bless him. Um, and he's very irresponsible. Uh, so yes, so I just wanted to mention that. So cool. <laughs> um, I haven't got much, much more, Shabby, but I'll say I say I mean we talked about our test of manhood in the tree trunks, but I've just put that it looked like wasabi now. So I wondered what all the fuss was about when I was a little bit <laughs> mad. But um, and then <laughs> um, and then I mean I, I've already kind of peaked with it, but with, with the the opportunity to do the gag at the top end, Shabby, but. Brian Blessed obviously gets a lot for his, you know, Gordon's Alive uh, line, which is is oft quoted, but he delivers the line dive eight times. Like, do you know what I mean? And, and it's really hilarious, and he's enjoying himself so much. It yeah. becomes so infectious. Um, well, that's it. It's probably worth <laughs> mentioning Brian Blessed for a second, because actually that's what most people relate to. Gordon's Alive is a huge thing, and people have never seen Flash Gordon. It, that's so it's interesting because that's never been a huge thing for me the Voltan and blessed and blessed is blessed and maybe if you're english it's slightly different i don't know how people might you know if american audiences necessarily know you know later on you might be like oh it's the kevin costner's dad in robin hood that's weird <laughs> what weird casting but he's also the dad in hamlet the brano and he's in loads of fucking stuff and he's in loads of doctor who of course he was in i claudius so he was in stuff that was vaguely international maybe not 80s doctor who but the other things but still in england he was fucking growing blessed i saw him in woking once driving a tiny car he was just filling up the windscreen just driving like a cartoon character and it was amazing so Brian Blessed That's is nice. Brian Blessed, and obviously his what he oh I guess people in Phantom Menace as well he's like he's Boss Nass if that helps. Um, I did not know that Sheppy. That's go. ridiculous. He improvised the and Lucas was like yeah sure do that and he did that all the time and they CGI'd it and it became the thing. So there you go, good old Blessed. He's he's a nutter. And he's great on talk shows and game shows and panel shows and all the shows. And he's he's great. He's larger than life. I don't know if he's dead. I always think he's dead. And then he's, alive. He's, he's alive. He's <laughs> alive. There you go. You see. Perfect. Walked into that one. So it's worth mentioning that I will say a little spoiler 
Voltan isn't in my sequel very much. I've deliberately sort of put him out of the way because even without my, I don't, I like Voltan and everything, but it's not so much. I think the danger would be had Flash Gordon been massive and they had made a sequel and they had brought Voltan back, if everyone was still saying the early 80s Gordon's alive then, then it would be a real Sheriff Pepper wannabe in Man of the Golden Gun and then really up their game and make him do all the other things and have him say it again or say something else and try and coin phrases would be really bad. So I just avoided all of that possible temptation mm-hmm. and to hell, just personally, because of course, Blessed is definitely needed, needs to be mentioned because he's so synonymous with the film for so many people and he's great. But for me, he's usually the last thing I think about when I think about Flash Gordon. Nice, Shep. Peter Duncan being the first. <laughs> I am. Um... And, and last. I, uh, well, I'm glad he's bookending the experience, Sheppy. That's very reassuring. I want to let you know I have led into Volta uh, a little in a way that you would well, absolutely expect and, and is in, totally in keeping with the tone of how bad uh, West Sequel's got. <laughs> okay, good stuff. Um, good stuff. Yeah. I'll say having an end the way Flash Gordon ends with the end and the question mark and then not making a sequel is kind of brilliant i kind of like living in a world where it ends with a question mark and they just never made another one that's amazing when you said this has been a sequel long time in the world of course it has on that basis right you know it's amazing and 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 i and i remembered it as a post-crid sting and of course it's a pre-crid sting which yeah i'll I'll mention again when it comes to my pitch as well because i had a thought on it but um but i just the only other thing i've just thought is like I think it might be right up there as one of my favourite punch the air moments is just when you're little, the little, um, yeah, the little machine. It's like a Baron Greenback's flying machine. It's a little flying metal head. (laughs) For most of the film is a massive cunt. He dobs out that dude, Prince Kala, when he's like, oh no, he he freezes him so Ming can stab him in that horrible way. It's that blue blood, I think. Yeah. And, and and he's like, stop Lizard Man, escape is impossible. Pow! Fucks up Lizard Man. And, and he's like, this Ming is a psycho and totally dobs out Flash for whispering that. He's like, who said that? That blonde-haired prisoner. It's like, oh, you little twat. <laughs> so right at the end, he turns up, hasn't helped anyone. But once it's all turned around and Ming's fucking dead, he flies over and goes, well done, Flash. You've saved the Earth. Have a nice day. And Flash is like, Amazing. yeah. If I was Flash, I'd be like, yeah, jump up and then catch the fucker and do like Arnie in The Running Man. And like, I'm going to be back your goddamn spine. <laughs> yeah. And just chuck him off Old Town's sky hole. So, yeah. But there you go. Um, good for him. Good for everyone. I also, I did mention Dalton. The Dalton is amazing. And the character starting off being very unlikable. And you know, this is one grade you won't be walking away from, which is a great line. He delivers so many great lines. He says, bitch, in an amazing way, which again is quite shocking for like a, what is essentially a children's adventure film, but it's not really. And that's, of course, the other element of is. But it's, yeah, lying, bitch. It's like, fucking hell, Dalton. Uh, but he's being cured, Dalton, and he's loving it. 
in the scene where Flash is doing the uh, like the, with the big Fabergé eggs, the American football thing, and Dale's getting into it, and Blessed's knocking out all the dudes, and it's that amazing scene. If you look, even in the long shots, you look at Dalton, and he is absolutely going for it. It's amazing. I always <laughs> look at Dalton. That's the only reason I went to see it at the cinema, so I could see massive Dalton reacting in the background during that scene, because it's brilliant. So all of that's amazing. And by the way, we have to mention that scene, the anticlimactic, the deliberately, the letting the air, or just bursting that balloon so viciously when you, the audience, it's, it drums you up so high and then it throws the chair away and it's like bonk and Zarkov throws it. And I don't know whose fault it is. Is it Zarkov's fault? Is it Flash's fault? But when it bonks off his head and he goes down and the whole crowd goes, oh, and every audience ever goes, oh, it's like, fuck, it's amazing. And it's very cruel of the film to do it, but then it's a very cruel film. So I like that as well. <laughs> well, it was a lovely, lovely rewatch, Sheppy. So I think it's my favourite homework so far. I was very happy, very happy to, to see it again. I'm going to bloody watch it again in the next couple of years. I, I, I'm well, very... that's good. Happy to be. Well, I wrote down just some notes that I haven't looked at. So I might go over stuff, but I'll just go over this very quickly in case there's anything. But what I wrote down, just my, my thoughts about Flash Gordon was it's grim, which it is. Let's just say, for example, Clytus dying and his fucking eyeballs and his tongue popping oh, out. That's, that's a horrible. And, what, and by the way, Clytus, what an amazing character. What a cunt. I mean, one of the most prime specimens ever. I mean, oh my God, even more than Ming, I would say. Clytus, played by Peter Wingard, who is wonderful. And he was in The Prisoner, and he was in The Avengers, and he was in lots of stuff. He was, he was Jason King, if that means anything to anyone. And he released this very dubious, sexually charged, very awkward, <laughs> badly judged CD. Well, at the time, vinyl. Uh, but I had the CD. Um, well, actually, my, my flatmate had the CD, but we listened to it a lot. Peter Wingard singing these weird songs. So love for Peter Wingard, even though he was a bit dubious. Uh, and him playing Clytus is extra special for me for that, because also Clytus is an amazing character. His death is amazing, essentially kind of killed by Dalton. And Flash still checks to see if he's alive, because Flash is so human and lovely. But then his eyeballs pop out. He goes, no, no. Uh, but it, so there you go. I just wanted to mention about Clytus whilst that was on my mind. Nice. Uh, so the film's grim. It's sexual, very sexual, not just Princess Sora, but the whole thing. It's kinky as fuck. Um, it's an astonishingly faithful adaptation. Um, I actually did some research about stuff just to actually get, get some info going. But, um, you know, it's sort of, and also the film itself, it is a very faithful adaptation of the very first comic strip and the radio show and the, the, the little B-movie stuff, um, the central premise and the central characters are all absolutely bang on from the very beginning. The film itself, maybe because it's Mike Hodge and it was filmed in England, but it does feel kind of English, if that makes sense. Um, but, you know, yeah. it has a certain dry wryness to it and also it's horrible. <laughs> it's just so horrible. So that it I kind of like that. Um, and again, like Kroll, it's insanely hardcore in places, just nasty and grim and horrible. 
unlike Star Wars, even with the inherent risks and a clear bad side, I wouldn't want to live in the Flash Gordon universe, which I said earlier, but there it is again written down. Um, it's knowing, the film is knowing, but presents itself as straight, so there's no obvious tongue in cheek. Um, it took me years to realize when, when Flash goes in at the beginning, when Zarkov's like, the phone's in there, and Flash goes in and he says, where's the phone? It took me years before someone pointed out that's a joke because it's a rocket ship. He walks in, it's a rocket ship. It's not a study or a lounge, <laughs> it's a rocket ship. He's inside a rocket ship and he says, where's the phone? Um, it's amazing. It's very, very dry. And that sort of sums it up. You know, it's kind of like Starship Troopers in that you can view it absolutely straight up as an action sci-fi film or you can read into a lot of subtext. Uh, Flash as a character is pure, he's totally pure. He's a kind-hearted jock. He knows right from wrong and he's an idiot. So I like him. He is also an idiot, but in a different way to Zarkov, he's just an idiot, but he's got good instincts. He's a sportsman, he's a hell of a specimen. Um, I also want to say a major source for the comic was the 1933 novel, When Worlds Collide with a very similar basic premise and three main protagonists. Credited to artist and author Alex Raymond, the first comic was in January 1934, and it was influenced a lot from other sources, as well as uh, further adventures, you know, and it went on for lots of other people wrote it years and years, and it was originally made to capitalize on the huge success of Buck Rogers, which first appeared in 1929. And there was merchandise and tie-ins and all sorts of stuff. And so Flash wanted, well, the makers of Flash Gordon wanted that and they got it. Uh, so Flash was a 100% ripoff and it paid off and it continued as a comic and serials for the cinema and a TV show in the fifties and radio and novels and mini novels and, and other things. Uh, and a kind of weekly serial with pulp adventure and cliffhanger which was popular, you know, with Rocket Man and Batman and Tarzan and stuff, and Cowboys and the Lone Ranger. And all these, of course, inspired Indy and Star Wars um, and the serialization, which actually works really well that you watch this in sections, Jimmy, because I know what I said, but also it does work very well because it was so serialized. You can watch Flash Gordon, and then about every 20 minutes, you can pause it and have someone next to you with a loudspeaker say, how will Flash and Dale Arden get out of this one? Will the plane crash? Will the meteor hit? Ba, 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 ba. Um, and there were millions. Of, you have to tune in for the next exciting installment, Death from the Mole Men. Uh, so I like that. Um, oh, and there's something for you, Jimmy. Uh, in Australia, the character and strip were retitled to Speed Gordon to avoid a negative connotation to the word Flash. Now, not flash like showing you winky, but more connected to flashy or showy, meaning in this sense, dishonesty. So there you go. I'm assuming nice. this is like 1930. So interesting. Um, originally, there were three main heroes. Oh, yeah, I wanted to say, it never really occurs to me, but the main three, especially flash, is separated from the main three in most of the film. And I never think of that, but it's true. And it's interesting. So I, I wanted to try and keep them together for as long as I could in my sequel, spoiler, before inevitably they're going to get separated. And so I held on for a little while. Um, but I like their dynamics. I like their adventure items, three of them. Dale is a smart cookie and she's tough. That bit where she shoots all those wankers, 
And she wicked. smacks one in the face. Yeah, it's good stuff. Aura's hardcore when she stabs that dude with those two massive needles. Was horrific yeah. as well. They made that really high pitched squealing noise when they die. Those kind of gas mask wearing imperial guard. Are you my mummy? One of them. It's, it's uh, horrible. So that's all right. The ending is perfect when you're watching it. The momentum and everything. Go flash, go, and he bursts in and stabs me with a fucking rocket ship. That's all amazing. And the pullback where you're like, fuck it, now we got it right there. That is great, and it's a good quote unquote death. But again, I mentioned the sword fight that you see in the comic book for a few seconds in the opening just could conceivably have like an extra beat where flash you know crashes in and then he has a face-on-face confrontation with me and they do have this sword fight maybe it's good they didn't it's a bit star wars and maybe that's a very deliberate thing so let's not do it even if it's like clanging sabers maybe they would be like that's too star wars let's not do it but i always felt if you were to do an extra beat, the film could handle a four-minute sword fight at this point and it not disrupt the momentum and have Flash and Ming have a face-to-face. But in the sequel, maybe that's the other thing. They're like, well, we'll wait for the sequel. That's, I think, everything. I mean, I'm sure I could go on and on and on, but I, I think that's that's fine for me, basically. I'm sure I'll kick myself later and think of something I want to do, but I think we talked about that quite a lot. Yeah, I I am so ready for your Flash Gordon 2 or whatever you're going to call it, Sheffy, because right. I have just this feeling. There, there was a decent amount in the clip before this was suggested. I just have, I know you've been daydreaming about this for maybe 30 years. So this is exciting to me. I, I'm, it may I'm surprise ready. you to know, this is one of those things that you're right on absolutely every level except one. It has all been there in terms of, expectation and stuff but in terms of forever but in terms of specifics no nothing never ever ever wow it's like when i did the um two-face batman three you know tim burton thing i always wanted to see it but when i came to it i suddenly was like oh wait well i don't i have no idea what the plot is so it's like that so no the plot there are a million variables frankly for something like this and i will say up front as i mentioned Yeah, so obviously I wikied Flash, other sites are available, and I I read up, because I also specifically, I knew that all of the characters, like Prince Baron and Zoltan, and the places like Argoria, all the side places that are mentioned, it's like Tarzan or lots of William Rice Burroughs stuff, there's a huge universe um, out there, it's like Conan, there's a lot of side characters, there's a big, big universe established, and I, and you know, as I knew, as I suspected, every character, all the characters, the, the, the dude who gets stabbed, who gets frozen, he's actually part of the lion people, um, which obviously they didn't want to put him in lion makeup, but that Prince Kala in the original comics and stuff was a lion prince. And I'm spoilers, I lean into that as well. But so I looked up characters and I saw, I looked up specifically other characters who hadn't been used yet just to sort of, you know, throw that flashboard and meet other people. And I thought, well, I could sit down and make shit up, but no, let's look at who exists and that'll, that'll be nice. And so I had sort of lots of things, of course, to pick and choose from because it's been around for ages. I tried to stick to lots of early stuff, there, but, but there were two ideas, one specifically from 1970s comic, I believe, of Flash Gordon, where a character was introduced and I like this type of character and I wanted to utilize that 
so I did. I will say this character in the comics, I think it was, uh, was a shapeshifter. He came from a race of shapeshifters. And I didn't want to get into all of that. So I just, so I adapted it. And in mine, spoilers, it's the same race and it's the same character, but I've adapted the character a tiny bit. And they're not shapeshifters, but they're all kind of masters of disguise. So they can all pass themselves off and mimic and shit like that. Um, so, so that's nice. So, so I liked that. So there was a lot to choose from, but like I say, I try to limit myself to as early stuff as possible, with only one or two tiny exceptions. And I did sort of, you know, and I mixed it up. It's it's kind of top heavy, which I think a lot of ours are anyway. So, it's probably too top heavy. But it's like, in the end, I wrote this in a very short space of time, ultimately. And it's like the whole thing: if you don't have time to write a short pitch, then write a long one. So it's so there are places I think don't need to be there necessarily to to accurately convey my intent. But I guess what the fuck, you know, I'll just try and read it as quickly as possible. No, Sheppy, but, look, just <laughs> let's all wallow. Let's wallow. Mine isn't going to be super long, so you know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so um, I'll jump in there then. Uh, Flash Gordon 2, a.k.a. Flash Gordon and the Witch Queen. Uh, it's 1982, so two years later. It's directed by Mike Hodges. Oh, and yes, I'm glad I wrote this down. It's written again by Lorenzo Semple Jr. I don't know if you know this, Jimmy. Lorenzo Semple Jr. was the main thrust and creative force behind the 1960s Batman show. And with that in mind, a lot of it suddenly makes sense. And you're like, ah. But again, obviously, the Adam West Batman show was tongue-in-cheek winking at the camera. But the genius was, of course, Adam West didn't play it that well, so that worked. But this whole film, like I said, doesn't wink at the camera ever, which is why I think a lot of people interpret the film as being a guilty pleasure or, you know, something like, oh, it's shit. <laughs> I, and I, but I think, you know, you're, if you think it's shit, that's absolutely fine. But I think people think it's shit for the wrong reason, because I think they don't necessarily see it for what it is. And you're like, well, that's fucking weird, man. It is, well, it is weird. Yeah, but it is intentionally. It is exactly, I believe, what it wants to be. I cut, I, you know, it doesn't strike me as something that necessarily had to cut corners on budget. It does what it wants to do. It tells the story. And it doesn't, it looks so weird, it doesn't necessarily look cheap. You know, it's so yeah. I it's hard to tell, but it always looks good. The flying stuff always looks fine because it's got a weird background anyway. So it's yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, so there you go. So I just wanted to mention that. No, nice. I didn't know, I didn't know that but the, you're right with the tone and everything. I think they were very careful about setting the right tone for flash. Given yes. and and wanted and perhaps in the end wanted to distance from Star Wars and stuff themselves, yeah. you know, in their own way. So yeah, happy. Yeah. It's so true. I'm so glad they did. You know, it's yeah because there are like we say, you honourable mention Battlestar Galactica, the TV show of Buck Rogers, of course, in the late seventies, early eighties, which I guess we both watched. I'm assuming, Jimmy. Yeah, I don't remember it, but yeah, yeah, I did watch. Um, and then, of course, you know, Kroll, The Last Starfighter, Battle Beyond the Stars, many, many more. Uh, Tron, The Black Hole. So Now, now listen, Sheppy, I want to hear about The Witch Queen. Let's, we've done Flashy. Let's go. I'm so excited. Yes. Yeah, so good one. So uh, Sam Jones, Melody Anderson, Topple, Timothy Dalton, Ornella Mooty, Ryan Blessed with... 
you're going to like this. 1982, mind you. Maxwell Crawford. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I need to say. Do I need to say? Does everyone know who Maxwell Crawford is? He was in Greece too, amongst other things. But um, I'll just say for him, I really thought long and hard. I wanted someone who could conceivably have played Flash Gordon. And for a second, I thought, well, maybe a young Dennis Quaid, well, like a Jules Free era Dennis Quaid. But I thought, no, he's actually too much of a, he'd already been in the right stuff. I want someone who's literally like Sam Jones, who could be, you know, also potentially sort of disappeared, kind of. Um, and so Maxwell Crawford. And also, <laughs> um, I have Sophia Loren and Ooh. Maxwell Sedal. So there you go. Yeah, nice. with Sophia Loren, I needed a female counterpart to Max von Sydow in terms of stature and history and having their own thing. Um, uh, I will say uh, Faye Dunaway popped into my mind, but I think that's just because of Supergirl and because it's the witch queen and there's that kind of black magic element to Supergirl. I didn't even want to entertain that in my mind. So I went with Sophia. So that's my nice. I'm and spoiler, spoiler, she's the witch queen. That's that's nice. That was that's very reassuring. I don't think Maxwell's got the range, so that's happy. No, yeah, probably right. <laughs> Fair enough. You say that, and we'll see. So, <laughs> um, but no, no, no. There's no direct kind of thing. Um, so opening and it's pre-credit. And it's exactly as in the first film, more or less. Uh, as in the first film, we open on space and then come up on a, on a lone planet. As before, we then slowly pull back to reveal the images on a view screen of some sort. We slowly continue to pull back as we hear two voices over the top of the image. Um, Captain Kellett says, what have you found? Uh, Corporal Joyce says, this might be the one, sir. A vast system, hundreds of regions, countless planets, and this right at the political center. And we see the planet, uh, and uh, we hear Kellett say, so much potential animating from such a small body. And Joyce, all other power resources defer to this. Immense sources of power, technical capabilities far in advance of the others we've seen. And best of all, sir, it's teeming with life. And Kellett says, so, this is the one. Can we tap into the coordinates? And Joyce says, already done, sir. Once the beam is activated, our arrival will be inevitable. And during all of this, we've been pulling back, pulling back further and further, revealing more of the, uh, the screen and the control panels around it, some computer systems operating. Uh, we pull back even more. We see large banks of computers and blinking lights and chunky dials and knobs, and then back more to reveal the backs of the two figures, Kellett and Joyce, who are watching the screen. And uh, Kellett says, a powerful body amidst a power vacuum waiting to be led, hundreds of planets, thousands of kingdoms, millions of lives ready to fall to the superior rule, the superior being, all those begging to be conquered, led and bled to dust. Let the preparations for conquest commence. And we now flip uh, and we see these two who are now facing us and they're wearing a kind of a weird military uniform and they seem to have like influences of British and American military, but also kind of, you know, the SS. And behind them, there's this huge window which is showing sky. Kellen says, looking at the planet, what's it called? And Joyce says, planet Mongo, sir. 
power to the sword, Captain. And Kellett says, power to the sword, Corporal. And we cut to a big wide shot and Kellett's there in the center and there's loads of workers sitting at computer banks and he addresses the whole massive room. And there are many workers, uh, many workers at various consoles, all in similar uniforms. And through the massive window, we now see the vista of New York City stretching out and far below. And Kellett says to the whole room, power to the sword, for the glory of the pure, the glory of the righteous, the glory of earth. And everyone in the room stands to rigid attention and chants as one, for the glory of earth, power to the sword, power to the sword, power to the sword. And we snap to black. And then we have the ba 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 and we have the flash theme and the opening credits flash ah, and just, you know flash Gordon and the witch stuff um, and we have a very similar opening to the uh, to the first film with comic book nice. edits and all sorts of cool stuff with the relevant characters of course highlighted for the film uh, which is all nice and so that ends it's Mike Hodges and we open and it's Mongo and it's six months since we last saw everyone when they had that very impressive aerial display. Um, Prince Baron and Princess Aura rule Mongo and the surrounding systems with compassion and fairness and peace. Uh, we meet them in the throne room, which is now being sort of, you know, it's more practical and less lavish than it was under Ming's rule. Uh, it's more like uh, council chambers, more than a monarch's boast of power these days. Uh, there's a brief scene of Baron addressing his commanders and leaders, etc., to establish the positions of the main players for the audience and blah, 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 catch everyone up, as well as the state of the kingdom of Mongo. Uh, peace is maintained. The other central kingdoms are strong and united, and prosperity is on the increase. Uh, after uh, so long under a totalitarian rule, there is some fixing needed and some political maneuvering to perform. Uh, Baron and Aura get, are doing very well, and they speak both directly and on screen to various kingdom leaders for the check-in. Uh, we can presume this is like a weekly thing. We briefly see Voltan, who there he is, and he's off on a distant sector of Mongo's system, and he's been pure blessed. And he's keeping the peace between some smaller colonies, which without Ming's eye in hand are now in danger of falling into civil war and lawlessness and all of that. So as a general of the armies, Bolton's out there with some battalions of hawkmen and shit, and they're there policing the sector and delivering aid where needed and strength where required. You know what? That could even be a whole spin-off parallel TV show. Amazing. <laughs> um, the, uh, the strength bit, of course, is Voltan's favorite, but the mediating uh, he is frustrated with and leaves a lot of that to Nero, his uh, chief ambassador, who we saw in the first film. And Nero, remember to keep your head down, that guy. Um, so he's there and he's the chief ambassador. He has, um, so there's a little humorous bit of bants with him and Baron and the pair are chummy and playfully bicker about the boredom of peace. And Baron also uh, speaks and of course, it's pure Dalton going for it. Uh, with his, he speaks with his head of science division, and there's Darkoff, and he's in the flesh, and he's happy as a robot pig in quantum shit. We learn that the uh, quote-unquote transposition beam is almost ready. Uh, this is a beam that Zarkov and Mongo's leading scientists have been working on since opening black holes is all but impossible now that Ming's army of dark science sections has been destroyed and black holes are volatile to begin with. The one Ming opened to attack Earth with wasn't meant for travel purposes. Zarkov's rocket got through by an element of luck. 
I mean, I really went off on one about stuff I really didn't need to, but they're not going to do that to get them home. It's just explaining why they're not doing that. But the transposition being can lock in onto a planetary body billions of light years away and create a conduit between the locations, in theory, allowing Zarkov, Flash, and Dale to return to Earth. Uh, the, the rocket launch is set for tomorrow. Baron and the others want more time to test, but Dale especially is ready to go home, and Zarkov hates tests and just wants to get on with it. Zarkov's like, we're all set. The launch can be as soon as tonight. And Baron's like, well, Guy Bor knows I'm in no hurry to see you leave us, but if you're ready, then I shan't stand in your way. So, where's Flash? And we cut to Flash, and he's outdoors in this lush garden on Mongo, and he's trying to teach American football to some locals and they're sort of young sorts and everything. And the sport, though, isn't quite football as played on Earth. It involves zero gravity. Uh, now, there's zero gravity produced by pockets of anti-grav created by these indigenous plants grown there. Uh, these are like massive Venus flytrap Audrey 2 type things, aware of life around them, but not really sentient. Uh, larger types will disable movement from creatures who pass too close, trapping them in a gravity bubble, then letting them float into the waiting mouth of the plant for consumption. For the game's purposes, these in the garden area are little baby plants and create, they create mini pockets of weightlessness. So we have a short fun sequence of Flash coaching his side and we meet this character who is a bit of a player and he's called Pinter. Um, and he's a Mongo teen and he's kind of got a slightly red skin and he's bright and enthusiastic and obviously in total awe of Flash and they play, which results in some cool moves and a cool zero G move by Flash, which looks like he's going to score a touchdown of sorts until Pinter panics when thrown the ball. Um, and by the way, the ball I've written is the large glowing fluffy spore, a bit like a massive dandelion head from another plant about the size of a small beach ball, which floats and bounces just above the ground like a two day old party balloon, close brackets. Pinter runs the wrong way, colliding with Flash, causing the spore ball to explode into a thousand floating baby spores, leaving Flash stranded in a gravity bubble, spinning lazily vertically, head over feet over head over feet, floppy hair all over the place. Pinter looking up at his coach, sorry Flash, and uh, Flash is like, guys, not bad. Pinter, great arm, but remember, when you're thrown the ball, you, and together with Pinter, says, run for home. And Pinter says, I'm sorry, Flash, I just got fluxed. And Flash, still spinning slowly 10 feet above the ground, chuckles and says, you mean flustered, or at least I think you do. And then Dale enters and uh, she sees all this and she throws a jibe up at Flash. And is like, still having some teething issues, coach? And Flash is like, Dale! Because it strikes me that Flash will always say someone's name when he first sees them. <laughs> so, Dale, no, no issues. Just teaching these kids some important skills. And Dale's like, like how you see the world from a different point of view. And Flash is like, well, we're experts at that. And Flash is helped down to the ground. And there's like a nice quiet moment between him and Dale. And Dale asks if he's sure he's okay about going back to Earth because he seems so happy there. And Flash, however, knows Dale's not up for it. And also he, he says, you know, he's eager to get home in time for the new football season. So Flash, Dale and Zarkov 
meet Baron and Aura and others at the rocket that Zarkov has constructed with Mongo scientists to take them back to Earth. They board the ship, fire the transposition beam, and the plan is to, you know, to ride it back to Earth. So there's a minor ceremony and a small but heartfelt goodbye for, to everyone from the three. There's hugs and handshakes and shoulder slaps. Dale and Aura, they probably, I want to give them a scene earlier, but I don't know how much time we have, uh, because, you know, we've got to get to it. Dale and Aura are fast friends, though, and they have a nice moment. Uh, then the three board the ship and launch, and they blast off, and the ship sails out of Mongo's atmosphere, and it looks cool as it sails into space and away from the Mongo system. Baron orders them to trigger the beam, which fires from a mega gun, and the beam travels uh, like a, you know an old-timey radio wave effect. And we see it travel from Mongo past the other planets through space and out of the galaxy and across the universe. It creates a conduit traveling uh, immense distances in seconds. It finds Earth, tiny, alone in space, and the beam connects and the space rocket with the three heroes. They start to ride it uh, into its uh, slipstream, traveling inside the conical beam as it spreads out across the stars. The ship enters the slipstream and moves between the atoms. Uh, on board the small craft, the three heroes are buckled in and Dale makes a nervous jibe about deja vu concerning the first time the three were in a shuttle together in similar circumstances. And Zarkov says, yes, but that was traveling into the unknown. Now we're traveling out of it. And Flash is like, is that meant to make us feel better, Zarkov? And Zarkov's like, yes, we know the route and we know each other. So don't worry, Flash, don't worry, Dale. This time there will be no surprises. A small compartment door inside the cabin springs open and Pinter, uh, he pops out of the extremely cramped space and he falls out of the top, um, out in a tangle of wires so that he's hanging tangled up before the three heroes upside down and the three stare at him in shock silence and Pinter says, surprise! And he wants to go to Earth with Flash, of course, and he's like, I want to see a football game and eat a dog. And Dale says, what? And Pinter says, but only if it's hot, right, Flash? And Flash is like, yeah, but remember what we talked about. A hot dog is not just the same as a regular dog. And Pinter says, right, one's for eating, one's for walking. And together with Flash says, and don't get bit by either. And Dale's like, right. Uh, Zarkov gets the radio up and he's going, oh, this is ridiculous. And he goes to contact Mongo City to tell them of the stowaway. We have to go all the way back. Uh, I, I know I sometimes sound like Arnie when I do my Zarkov, but I can't help it. Um, but Zarkov discovers that the radio is being jammed. But why? And Zarkov is like, the only logical cause of the jam, such as this, can only be if he trails off. And Dale's like, Hans, what? And Zarkov says, if it were deliberate. And we cut to Mongo City and alarms in the throne room start blaring and the skies above become alive as numerous little portals begin to open. And Baron and Aura rush outside and stare at the sky. And Aura says, what is this? And Baron says, nothing good, nothing safe. We cut back to the rocket and Flash says, come on, come off it, Zarkov. You're being paranoid. It's just a freak occurrence. And Zarkov says, it's no freak. It's an attack. And they scan the skies from uh, the rocket 
and Zarkov tells him that somewhere on the edge of Mongo space, someone has opened mini black hole portals directly to Mongo and the city. We cut to Mongo and a heavily armed armada of massive ships appear in the sky above it all. And we cut back to the rocket and Flash tells Zarkov, turn this thing around and head back to help Mongo. And Zarkov starts to program the rocket to do just that, but then the beam is intercepted. Uh, the beam they're riding, of course, in the conduit if they start to lose its structure, the rocket ship starts to shake and inside the four are like thrown around and shit. Alarms and lights are blaring and flashing and Zarkov explains that the beam has been corrupted uh, almost as if someone else is trying to harness it. And we cut to Earth, to New York City, and it's back at this skyscraper, which is the Chrysler building. And the red sword, which is like this quasi-fascistic power um, to, like, I mean, and this is from the comics, this is from the 30s, so it's not very subtle, and so it's, yeah, so it's the like American Nazis. Um, they have indeed intercepted the beam and are sending their own rocket through from Earth. This uh, red sword ship is fired from the top of the Chrysler building, which opens up to allow the rocket to shoot up and into the sky beyond. Uh, the ship is filled with dozens of red sword soldiers, um, all perfect specimens, including Captain Kellett, who we heard at the beginning. Their mission is to travel to far-flung planets, rich in minerals and technology, but poor in terms of government and military. And they're going to go and dominate, spreading purity and master race shit, uh, colonizing and filling the power vacuum left by the previous despot. This organization is uh, like also like the Freemasons, you know, the power behind the governments and shadowy, wealthy, old, intent on spreading biological purity to the heathens of the cosmos. Their uh, interference causes the trans beam and conduit to breach, uh, to break, to splinter, sending Zarkov's rocket off on a tangent, shooting out of the beam in a totally new area of deep space, deeper into the forgotten realms of Mongo. I was gonna call this film Flash Gordon, The Forgotten Realms of Mongo, or Flash Gordon in The Forgotten Realms of Mongo, but I went with The Witch because it sounds cool. On Mongo, we see the scrambling scientists and Baron barking orders. He's like, trace that ship, seal the beam. And from Earth, uh, the red sword ship shoots into space, uh, shoots into space into the conduit and soon emerges at the same break point as Flash as the others. Uh, and they all come tumbling out. Uh, we go back to Mongo and the controller who's on the you know, big console says to ba uh, the Baron, we've located the breakpoint of the beam, but something's then a laser shoots out of the sky and hits a major structure of Mongo City, totally destroying it. The laser shoots down again and destroys a main hangar filled with rockets and ships. And then pow, from the portals of the vast armada of huge space warships pour through, appearing in the sky surrounding Mongo, the Mongo people are all frantically trying to control and repair the beam. They might even succeed when an immense energy bolt shoots out of the sky and destroys the gun. Um, the place, the palace is hit, the, rude, uh, the roof explodes, the surrounding area, the city, the buildings are also hit with some damage. Um, inside, Baron's like, who the bloody hell is that? And uh, one of the control techs looks up from the computer and says, I'm receiving a transmission from the atmosphere. We are being ordered to surrender the kingdom of Mongo. And Baron says, fire back, fight the bastards. And the controller says, we're outmatched, sir. 
They waited till our power was taken, servicing the energy beam. Then they knocked out our weapons, guidance, and shield control. I, I see that guy, someone maybe like Shane Rimmer, and Baron says, oh, the bloody hell are they? And the controller looks up and says, they say they are the, they are the new imperial rulers of Mongo. And Baron says, who? And the controller says, they say to extend our surrender, to take the knee and prepare to receive our new ruler. And Baron says, who? And controller turns from the computer banks and faces the Baron ash-faced. And he says, they say, prepare to receive Azura, the witch queen. And there's a beat and Baron says, what? And we cut back to the rocket and it's flying out from the shattered beam all over the place, Dale and Flash and Sarkov and uh, Pinter all are banging around like crazy and they spin right into the, the jungle kingdom of Tropica ruled by Chieftain Daziri or maybe Dezira, let's say Dezira. Huge mountains, huge. Everything is like on a massive like times a million scale. Just ridiculous mountains, lush jungles, epic rivers, rivers the width of oceans. Everything is massive. Uh, the ship, crashes into the lush jungle through the tree tops and then is held suspended in the thick vines of the ginormous trees 500 feet above the jungle floor. It is not secure. Uh, the heroes have to get out of the ship which is on its side with all the vines but the door of course is on the underside so they have to flip it open and they have to hang and work their way hand over hand under the ship and then up and crawl up onto the top and get off uh, using the branches and the vines before the ship will either fall or is going to be crushed by the constricting mega vines. Flash, Pinter, Zarkov and Dale start to do this. It's tense and exciting. Uh, you know, someone loses their grip and gets caught and swung and helped. Um, Pinter turns out to be very helpful. Dale and Zarkov get up to the top of the ship after a bit of trepidation and onto a branch the size of a tanker truck. Flash then makes it just in time before the ship is crushed by the snake-like constrictions of the thick tree life. Uh, the three sit panting and out of breath, and Dale says, uh, Flash says to Dale, and you told me to take an interest in plants. Uh, and I just see Zarkov sitting in the middle, just like reacting to that. And then Mongo, Mongo City is under heavy fire. Baron tries to scramble troops and ships and but the huge hangar is gone with all the ships and stuff. Uh, a few small craft try to attack the Armada, and for a moment it looks like the Mongo ace fighters have a chance, but then uh, out of the mothership, a one-man craft shoots out, and it performs some astonishing flying, destroying the remaining Mongo ships, um, and we meet the commander of the ship as he talks to the queen on the view screen. We meet both of these people. Now, this is her second in command, uh, Commander Travis. He's basically the, the, the Clytus of, of it all. Uh, we see him as, um, as a shape hidden in a hood. He has like a big cow. He's got like uh, bright yellow eyes. The glimpses of the features that we do see, he has like really flaky, like leper skin, like super dry, and an almost buzzard like beak protruding out from the cow a bit. And he speaks with a phlegmy rasp. Uh, he's a cunt. So the invading army gets boots on the ground and take the capital and Baron shoots some fuckers, but he gets, and he gets Aura out of there. She also shoots some fuckers, but she gets out, but he himself is captured 
And so forced onto his knees is the Council of Mongo uh, right there, Baron and, and the audience are uh, introduced then to Azura, the witch queen, Sophia Loren. She's of course beautiful and glamorous and she's cold yet hot, burning with the desire to rule after eons of hiding in the dark. Uh, but now is her time to shine. Um, she states the unconditional terms of surrender for the planet, promising to kill only Baron and his generals, but to leave the kingdom and the city and the population alone. And as a sign of good faith, tells Baron that his government council may leave. And she says, I have no use for the trappings of peace. I need only men of war. And Baron accepts and orders a surrender to save the city. And the queen orders the destruction of the government citadel where she just sent all those government people. And Baron's like, you bloody bitch, you said they'd live. And Queen says, uh, I said I had no need for men of peace. Let them find their peace now. Fire! And the Citadel is hit with her energy beam, destroying the government body and Mongo's politicians of peace. Baron's furious and smoldering. Queen laughs and says she will break him, then have him, then dismember his atoms and send his head to all the kingdoms of Mongo for them to see firsthand the end of their prince and the beginning of their new rule. The queen says, should they doubt my intent, may they meet the stare of your dead eyes as I present them your head, Baron. And she cackles. Uh, so banished for millennia, she's been like, you know, monitoring Mongo since Ming's apparent death uh, before even. Man, now the power vacuum, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but she needed the army to divide. So Voltan's off and unable to help and all of that. So she was, and also she was waiting for Flash's ship, the launch of the beam, and all of Mongo's power being down. So that was all that happening, including the defense grid. Uh, Baron is now to be tortured and executed in a proper ceremony, uh, not from vanity, but just to show the kingdom. And the queen says, to show the kingdom that the prince is dead, long live the queen. And now she has power of the central hub, and now she wants to know the location of the original usurpers who created the power vacuum in the first place. Because, uh, you know, if they did it once and all of that. So the queen says, tell me, Baron, where is the Earth Man? Where is Flash Gordon? And we cut, uh, of course, um, back, back to Flash. I will say as a quick side note, if that's okay, Jimmy. Of course. Okay, okay, just wanted to check. Um, quick, at some point, I'm going to say the Queen tortures Baron. Now, in the in the original film, we hear about the boar worms, which just I'm so glad we never see um, because it, they just left your imagination. Just the concept of what the fuck you can imagine boar worms. Oh my god, um, as a torture device. So and and also there's lots of nasty stuff as we established in the original film. So I do want to keep that. And I haven't really gone into that much detail, but I will say the queen does have her own powers, which she, you know, like Ming, uh, she passes off as kind of witchcraft, but there is some sort of science behind all of this. But, you know, it's, she's passing it off as pure magic. At some point she tortures Baron and she uses something nasty. Um, like she, for example, she's like this ancient witch. She has this deep power, so she can like reach inside your mind and your body. She can reach out and like quote unquote hold someone's heart in her hand. It's like a mental trick, but she stands there with her arm out, you know, gripping, and you feel the hand around your heart. And then like she squeezes slowly, and she's like ha ha ha, you're like Ugh! and then she like squeezes really hard, and you're like bleh. Um, and you know, and if you're an alien, maybe some 
black shit pops out of your mouth because it's nasty. And she, so she does that sort of thing. Um, she also like, you know, she can trick getting your mind, trick you in thinking you're, you know, you're walking out of a room or a dungeon or something, but it's actually like an open window leading you just to step out into the corridor only to find nothing but air and clouds and death and as they scream. Uh, so she does shit like that all the time. Uh, she fills the uh, Baron's lungs with water, then freezes it and then shatter, shatters the ice and then uses the shards to like shred his insides. Uh, Baron doesn't yes. like it. Yeah, I know. No. Uh, she, she, she describes it, you know, maybe he has a trickle of blood coming out of his mouth and it's Dalton acting. So the description alone is pretty hardcore. She suggests her next action were to place his brain in some, uh, oh, place in his brain some egg sack of white spiders with spindly razor sharp legs and bulbous pussy bodies. Uh, they will hatch in your brain and eat their way through skin and eyes, leaving a skull sitting atop the body of a fool. And Baron is not having it, and he calls her nasty words. Uh, we cut back to the jungle. Uh, now trapped um, and out of contact, the three heroes and the young stowaway must make it across this jungle canopy, massive internet interconnecting branches and vines the side of this immense, like I mentioned before, just like ludicrous Jack and the Beanstalk style mountain. Just, I mean, not even a mountain, just like this huge wall of rock, just as far as the eye can see in every direction, including up. Um, so they climb out of the jungle and they swing and jump and everything. Oh, and there's some close calls, depending on how long they want to stay on this, but it's just three of them together. So there can be some close calls. Flash, at some point, he's in a hole up to his neck. Someone else is buried the same. Um, standing upright and then oh, the yeah. hole isn't totally it's not totally filled in and then these little bugs like scarab beetly weird horrible things with lots of thin spindly legs will fill in like water from the bottom of the hole and fill up and then they just like eat you like piranha and stuff like what you're buried up to your neck in this hole and that happens to one guy you see it happen and then his head just rolls off and it's just like you know the, the skeleton so is left. and then same is going to happen with flash and he gets out of it by someone, maybe the teenager guy, going underneath and digging him out from beneath and comes down through the hole and then they escape through the tunnels. Oh yeah, and they discover they are being hunted by some crazy tree monkey things, kind of like part massive ape, part jungle cat with massive circular mouths containing dozens of sharp teeth, a bit like the Sarlacc. Um, flash axe as bait, and tries to lead a 10-foot grotesque away from uh, his friends. He looks like he's trapped as the beast pounces, but he, a massive version of the spore anti-grab plant from earlier is in residence, which uh, Flash clocked, so that's using his nonce, and he moves aside at the last second, letting the jungle monkey beast thing get caught in an anti-grab bubble and then get eaten by the plant. Uh, more monkey things descend, there, and so the heroes are chased and it is close, but they make it to the side of the mountain and get onto the uh, rock outcroppings. Um, Zarkov hacks the vine as uh, Flash and Dale won the last part and Zarkov hacks it free, just as Flash leaps across, of course, as it falls away beneath him and he grabs the rock and the rest of the vine and the monster thing, monkey things plummet. Uh, meanwhile, we learn, by the way, at some point that the queen has dispatched her finest death squad, led by her second, Commander Travis, to hunt and kill Flash and the others. 
She knows, of course, you know, potential rebellion will be thwarted if it's known that the hero of the last uprising was no more. And the queen's like, bring me Gordon. And Praxis is uh, like, alive. And queen says, you don't need to be alive to have a head, so bring me his head. The rest of him you can do with as you please. And Commander Travis gurgles with pleasure. Uh, cut to jungle. <laughs> <laughs> Pinter works out where they are and uh, where they are with the region is this ancient region, um, the home of the lion tribe. These are wild, reclusive, vaguely primitive sorts like lion men, lion people, hiding for centuries from the plight of Mongo and the rule of Ming. They have been forgotten and have now grown even more wild, uh, but they may help. Um, so the three and the stowaway must climb the mountain meet the lion people, try to contact Mongo. Lion people are ancient enemies of the shark men. Uh, Prince Kala, the dude from the first film we get stabbed up, he comes, like I may imagine, as a shark. He was a shark man in the comics. So in this, my reason is he is a shark man. Ming's rule is you can't appear as an animal in the presence of Ming. Ming is God, so you must be in his image. So if you're a shark man, you have to make yourself look like a human when it means growing in his presence. That's my get out of jail free card. I'm using it. When you're not in the presence of Ming, you can look like a shark. You have the ability. And then we have like, you know, you can do it with Hammerhead in Star Wars. You can do a million things with cool masks. So um, it's 1982. Go, go nuts. Um, you have like Hammerhead sharks. You have like big, weird shark faces. And the mouths don't even have to move when they talk. I don't give a shit. Um, that's fun. So, so I want the shark men, and they're, they're loving it. And there's, obviously, we'll get more to them later. Um, so uh, since Prince Kala was murdered by Ming um, in the throne room, the shark men have grown bitter in their quest for vengeance. They believe Baron, etc., should not rule as they suffered the most. And we hear in the first film how their kingdom was blasted, etc. They travel to the jungle region to gain dominance over the lion tribes, to take them as slaves and to build their army in their grand plan. So Flash, etc., find themselves in a war uh, between the lions and the sharks. Um, heroes uh, climb the mountain. Maybe there's some horrible. I don't know, spider cave dweller crawling out of a crack or something. Uh, the lion tribes attack anyway. Uh, they start a rock fall, etc. Flash and Co. narrowly survive dodging under the rocks and all of that. To make it about halfway up, where they meet an envoy from a lion tribe, different lion tribes, some are more savage than others. They meet this one dude who seems okay and he kind of likes Dale. Um, and Flash is like, ha. Huh, you know, get, get, take, get your paws off my girl, fella. I just made that up. That's in the trailer. There you go. That's a double one. <laughs> I mean, I've been um, meaning to say, Sheppy, your flesh has been exceptional so far. The, 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 the uh, impressions of him have been spot on, as they have with Dalton, but you'd expect your Dalton. But anyway, that's, <laughs> well, more, thank you. more that's... of that at the end. More of that at the end. <laughs> uh, flash is making headway toward an understanding with these, uh, with these lion people, who, by the way, are Again, I kind of see just dudes with like lion on their head, like Alexander the Gate. Great, not even a, a lion person, but like you could give them whiskers and shit. I don't need full on Aslan head. 
Um, you can go anywhere with the line of people. They could just be dudes with like mullets, you know, I'm not that bothered. I'm more interested in the sharks. Um, the lions you can do a lot of things with, but don't go crazy. Um, so Splash is like trying to talk to them, get, get in with them, and it's sort of working, making headway towards an understanding when disaster, a ship cracks through the atmosphere and attacks them. And it's only the bloody red sword who finally got through that breaking the portal and you know the fascists from earth and the troops uh, crush down and they spill out and attack just as flash was making peace with the lion men and the lion tribal person the leader says a human trick and um, everyone attacks everyone flash and co must scale further up the mountain with red sword in pursuit behind and the lion people ahead and above some red sword folk are knocked from the mountain uh, falling miles and miles and miles and miles to the jungle below. Um, quick aside, but it's relevant. I saw a Tarzan serial or a film, I guess it was, on TV, let's say BBC Two, uh, middle of the day, maybe I was home ill from school, or maybe it was a slow Sunday. Either way, I was watching this Tarzan film, black and white, no idea where it was made. Uh, and it was up a cliff, and people were like falling off the cliff. I think tribal people were throwing spears and people were falling off the cliff, a bit like the original King Kong. Um, and that is a massive influence on this scene right now. So it's that sort of stuff is happening. And the red sword, if you're gonna have a fascist army, do an Indiana Jones and use them like zombies and just kill the fuck out of them in inventive <laughs> ways. There's so many of these red sword fuckers that get eaten by massive like uh, cave, mountain monster lion creature things coming out of caves and cracks in the in the rock and just eating these people in really horrible ways just all sorts of death but a lots of fooling because i'm a big fan of that like in all imagine secret service when the man comes off that mountain and he falls for like 20 minutes of the film amazing <laughs> um so at this point it's all kicking off um the heroes now they've made it this far but this is the point in the film where they get separated Zarkov is captured by Captain Kellen of the Red Sword, uh, amongst others, and he holds the gun on him, um, and then he takes his gun and he aims it right at Flash, who's almost made it to this outcrop of rock in comparative safety, and he's pushed Dale up in front of him, and he's stretching for the ledge, and the rock's crumbling beneath his feet, and his fingers brush the ledge, and Captain Kellen shoots Flash uh, just as he's reaching for the ledge, and Flash is seen to react to the being shot, and he falls from the mountain to certain death. And Dale screams, and that's a pure power flash card. I'm sorry, that's going in the creek. Above, Dale is grabbed by a lion man and is dragged off to the top of the mountain. And below, Hans has taken by the red sword, his previous relationship with fascists, making this a heady confrontation. And Topple can be given some scenes here, my friend, like some really. <laughs> good scenes with the red sword. Nice. Uh, spoiler here, Flash is not dead. Um, now, I don't know at what point, but we discover that he, he's been scooped up mid-fall by the shark men, and he's taken to their realm, uh, the beachy paradise region of the area, with giant fish things and squid things and frog-faced nutters and all sorts of stuff, but it looks really beautiful, like Pandora, or like, you know, really tropical, but to a weird degree, you know, eight moons and shit. Lots of weird fruit. Uh, Dale is to be sacrificed by a faction of the lion men, typical. Things are tense, 
when one of the, her supposed guards is the guy, the, shark, the, the lion man from earlier, who likes her, um, and he draws a futuristic blaster and shoots the other guards, and he pulls off his lion head. But, oh, I'm so sorry. It's not the guy who liked her from earlier. Forget that. It's his other, it's his other guard. You haven't seen him before, really, just he's been there, but he hasn't done anything else. But he takes out a futuristic blaster and he shoots the other guards and he pulls off his lion head to reveal a dashing space hero played by Maxwell Crawford, a real Buck Rogers wannabe. In fact, he introduces him as a Scorpy, which is an alien race, Scorpy space fighter ace, Baron Dactula. Um, the Scorpy are masters of disguise, and Baron uh, Dactula is also an ace space pilot. He's dashing as fuck, and Dale, frankly, even though 10 seconds ago she's screaming and crying because <laughs> Flash is just running, she can't help but hide, she can't hide a certain attraction. And Dale's like, whoa. And they flirt a bit as they escape through the high mountain caves and tunnels. And Dale is like, but I already know a Baron. And Duck says, call me Duck, it's D-U-K. And Dale says, Duck, call me Dale. And uh, mountain nasties emerge behind her with intent to eat. And Duck says, Dale, duck. And she ducks, uh, but it takes a second for her to like compute. And then she ducks and he shoots the mountain nasties with his full space laser gun. Really old school style. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's a real zap, zap. He leads her, and Orlan Pint is still there. <laughs> uh, he's been doing stuff through the caverns and caves, away from the lion faction and towards his ship. There, they share a moment in Dale. They even look like something might happen between them for a second there. But the red sword have found them and start to fire. Uh, he captures a wounded sword member who says Flash was being taken uh, by the he was seen taken by the giant fish. Duck realizes the shark people must have Flash. He promises Dale he will do everything he can to save Flash. Then he shoots the sword member, which shocks Dale. Uh, before he can uh, lead Dale to safety. Um, they are then attacked even more by the Red Sword and maybe Lion people as well. Uh, with his ship in sight, uh, he and Dale and Pinter, uh, or Pinter, I know I keep changing it, they are separated by a massive rock side. It looks like Dale is lost and so he gets in his ship and he flies out, bowing to save Flash. In his ship, Duck kills several members of the Red Sword, pew, 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 uh, but one of them uh, explodes the cave, sealing everyone in, including Dale. Uh, ducks like fuck, but he flies off. Uh, Flash has been taken by the shark men to their region. There he must face the terrors of the deep, as well as shark anger and combat on the ocean floor. Like weird tropical beaches, like paradise with death and deadly creatures everywhere, shark men are leaderless and desperate. Flash must win them over while escaping and dealing with a lot of wet shit. He's in a tough spot, about to have a nasty time with a giant squid thing with a baby's head or something, and it's pulling him into its weird mouth, which is in its chest, when a rocket ship bursts under the water, firing all the weapons, pew, 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 kills the squid thing that bursts and all sorts of horrible gurgly things, and he scoops up Flash, who keeps being scooped up at the moment, and it's Duck, and he's with Pinter, or Pinter, uh, who is able to scan for human life with Duck's equipment, uh, so together they tracked underwater movement and they came to help. Duck shoots some more water wankers and monster things and pow, they escape from the water and soar up to space. 
He and Flash shake hands, Flash's wet hands, and it's a nice moment. Instant buds. He tells Flash, uh, Dale's okay, and he'll take him to her. Uh, then a light flashes on the console, which makes that duck uneasy. And he tells Flash, please, could you check the outer door is sealed? Flash steps into the airlock, and Duck presses a button, and the door closes behind Flash and seals him in the airlock. And there's a little circular window in the door, and Flash is like looking out, and he looks at Duck, and he's like, you can't hear him, but he's like, what? And Pinter goes to open the door, and Flash through, sees through the little porthole window uh, behind Pinter. Duck draws a blaster, and Flash shouts, Pinter, look out! But too late, and Duck aims and shoots Pinter in the back, he dies inches from Flash, looking confused through the window as he slides down dead. And oh no, that's your duck reveals himself, and he is actually none other than the Queen's second in command. It's only fucking Commander Pravis the whole time, master of disguise. His natural form is the yellow eyes and the beak and the raspy skank. And he needs Flash's head to bring back to the Queen, but he doesn't need the rest of him. So he gives a little smug speech and he slaves. Saved Flash from the sea terrors, but now he's going to jettison Flash into space, let him die, retrieve his frozen body, snap off the head, and take it back to Mongo. And Flash is gutted. And meanwhile, we cut. Dale is saved from the cave in by the Lion Man. This one is the one who was taken with her originally. He leads Dale to the top of the mountain, and she meets the tribal leader chieftain uber chieftain of the peaceful uber faction and it's his lovely lady lioness and she's half savage but ultimately wise and moral and uh, she's called chieftain desira in the comics it was uh, queen desiri but i didn't want to so actually i changed i said desira earlier but this is chieftain desira and this is the lioness warrior chieftain and um someone cool and maybe in her 40s or 50s plays her but i don't know who uh, maybe Charlotte Ramplin, who is actually relatively young. Anyway, Dale demonstrates purity and selfishness and compassion, and at the top of the mega mountain, making peaceful contact with the lion tribal head, and Dale has a nice moment and says a nice speech. And Azira says she does not think they can defeat uh, any new threat. The queen is powerful, but she says there is one man who she has heard of who has recently emerged into the desert, and he might be strong enough. Uh, he's a powerful shaman, who lives in the desert of pain. If Dale can reach him, this man might have the power to stop the queen. So Dale sets off to find him with the lion friend who saved her from the cave-in, who, spoiler, dies later saving her. And it's another tragic death. Uh, Zarkov is with Kellen and the Red Sword, and he's had some meeting scenes with him. Uh, he is taken eventually back to Mongo um, at some point, uh, as they need his skills to get through defenses, uh, and meet the Queen, which the Kellen, the leader of the Red Sword, he wants to meet the Queen, bargain, sort out, you know, purity in the universe. Kellen does meet the Queen, and she makes ice slugs hatch from his heart, and they burst from his mouth in the dozens, and he falls from the floor dead. Now, I don't know at what point that happens. Look it might happen up. sooner than you think, because it might just be nice to just kill Kellen. You know, let's just give him a horrible death. He meets the Queen, says, Finally, we meet, and she's like, who's this idiot? And just gives him a horrible ice slug hatching from your heart to death. Um, and so that happens. Spoiler, by the way, in flash form, uh, by the third act, the lion and shark tribes have become allies, 
teaming up to help Baron to fight the fool. Uh, the Shark Prince says, Baron, we judged unfairly, for the, there are those who wish for peace in the kingdoms and those who wish for war. The Shark people pledge ourselves to fight for peace. And Zarkov um, is still you know, the prisoner of the Red Sword, um, and he is taken to Mongo with everything. Uh, Dale journeys through the desert with Lion Man's friend, and she has some close calls with sand scorpion things, like horse scorpions and other nasty things. She finds um, the rock island, which she's heard of, and the cave in the center, in the center of the desert, in a sandstorm, and she meets the shaman who may have the power to fight the fool, who's like huddled in the corner. She calls out as she enters the cave and moves forward. Uh, she says, hey there, uh, I don't know if you can understand me, but I need your help. Everyone needs your help. You don't know me, but, and the shaman in the shadow says, your name is Dale Arden. And Dale says, yes, I knew you would be powerful. You will use that power, please, to fight against evil. And there's no response from the shape. And she says, I need your help. We all need your help. The fate of the universe is in your hands. And the shaman says, these hands. And he holds them out and performs some show of power, igniting like a small fire in the middle of the cave and it lights it up a little bit. And we see his hands and they're bare, but for one large ring. And Dale sees it and she stares and the fire illuminates more and the shaman steps into the light and Dale says, oh my God. And it, it's bloody Ming in it. And he's gone full Rasputin. Um, he's, he's not in a good state. He, he's lost everything. He's uh, wearing torn rags. His beard is all long and unkept. He's still bald obs, but he's got this huge black beard. Um, he's gone a bit nuts. He's, he's got a tiny bit feral. Um, but he speaks with Dale and he knows of the queen from Eon's past and he does not like her. Um, and she's stepping into the, his vacuum and it's like, really, he does not like that. And he says, I will come and I will restore balance to the kingdom. And, you know, Dale's like, don't, I mean, obviously you're going to try and take back power. He's like, you need me, Miss Arden, or not? My wife, she goes, just stop that right there, mister. Uh, so he, of course, does betray them as soon as he can, but he is instrumental in fighting the queen. Um, and again, I don't know at what point, this is like pretty far into the film. So Sadao is held off. Of course, he's in the posters and trailers and he's in the beginning titles but still that's uh, there he is um on duck's ship um flash is jettisoned into space we have a scene where we think he might not be he must escape but Dak, you know pushes the button um and he gets blown i should say right out into space um he's, you know, he starts to go he thrusts up his eyes start to bleed and then a massive ship bursts into view and we see the pilot and it's Voltan, it's bloody blessed. And he comes in and he says, better late than never. <laughs> and he scoops up Flash, who is just being scooped up all over the place. Uh, Flash then is in there, he gets revived. Uh, Duck is like, what the fuck? Flash then pilots, he, well, Flash is like, he pilots a one-man hawk ship out of there and he has a one-on-one -on -one with Duck and he says, you wily old bird, get over to Mongo, stop it, I'll deal with him. And so Duck and Flash have a one-on-one -on -one in space with rockets and lasers and Duck apparently is blown, 
blown up. We see an explosion. So Flash is like, right, and he goes. So we're into the third act. Everyone is coming together from the whole film. Red Swordman at this point is definitely dead at the hands of the Queen. She's got Sarkov, I'm assuming. Baron is rescued by Aura, who really steps up, does some really cool heroic shit. She's led some of those chicks and some other friends of hers, and they're, they're going nuts, um, killing a lot of uh, the Queen's guards. Uh, Aura lets the shields down and allows Dale with Ming, Flash and Voltan to enter Mongo City. Uh, and you know, so Baron's out. There's a massive fight. Baron is shooting people left, right and center. You bloody bastards. Sharks and lions, hawkmen, why not? And spider people, chieftain lions and shark kings. Sarkov um, gets away, someone rescues him, probably Baron, because that's nice. They have a nice time. They can have a tiny little moment when they're escaping. Sarkov activates the trans beam again and also reinstates the planet's defenses, blasting the Queen's Armada. Uh, and he says, You can't fight science right before destroying the fleet. Uh, Duck, I'm going to keep calling him that for why not? He, he, may, he might well turn up at this point to enter the ship. He's all a bit fucked up, but he, he lands, he shoots some shit, he, and he gets into a fist fight with Flash and he, be, he bests Flash. And maybe he fights dirty in the fist fight. Trying to finish him off, Prince Baron pops up and says, I heard you're a Baron. There's only one Baron here, you bastard. And he beats the shit out of Duck because it's Dalton. Uh, Duck, though, you know, Miss Maxwell Crawford, he get, he, he's no spring chicken. He, he is a spring chicken. He gets a slide up a hand. But then Flash pops up, tag team city, socks him one. Then Baron rushes up, throws a massive punch with everything behind it, knocking Duck into the newly re-energized transbeam, separating Duck's atoms and turning him into paste. And Flash says to Baron, he should have ducked. And Baron doesn't get it. Queen has a, a big battle with Ming, power against power. Ming weakens her, and then Aura zaps her to death, and Aura has a cool moment and actually kills the Queen, I'm going to say. Um, Ming turns to Aura with a smile, and then he zaps Aura with his ring, naturally. She falls to the floor. Baron sees, no, Aura's not dead, but she's a bit fucked up. Ming is a wrong end. Flash um, and he have a final confrontation. Um, maybe it's with that sword fight. I've always wanted them to have a sword fight in the title sequence of the first film. You see a tiny bit of the comics of them having like a rapier fight um, on a mountaintop. I'll, I'll take that now. Um, Ming is about to win when Aura and Baron turn the trans beam on Ming and Zarkov flips the switch and Ming is sucked into the beam. But before he could be atomized, he rings himself and disappears, dot, 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 for now. So Mongo is safe. The queen and her army are defeated. I think the queen has to die in the last two days. So I say like she was zapped by Aura, but I think something really horrible. Maybe she turns into all of those ice worms and then they all just collapse on the floor, a bit like when he turns into rats in Dracula. And she's screaming as like bits of her are turning into worms and we can't stop it. Something horrible. And the ice worms, so then she shatters. Yeah, why not? So anyway, um, Flash and co, uh, Mungo is safe. The queen and her army are defeated. The lions and sharks and everyone else are united. Flash and co are sitting in the ruins of Mongo throne room, battered but victorious. And Zarkov says, so my friends, earth still awaits. 
New York for you, Dale. Football for Flash. Shall we try again? And Flash and Dale exchange a glance. And Dale says, let's wait till next season and then enjoy a nice moment in the ruins of the city. And we cut to deep, deep space and the trans beam splutters and fails and Mink's body shoots out and reforms on a tiny moon in the middle of an abandoned asteroid belt. And he's just there, like Robinson Crusoe, in the middle of nowhere, totally stranded. And Ming shouts up at nothing, I shall not be kept, I shall not be vanquished, I shall return. But the final return is shouted at the top of his lungs, but we see it from such a long way away, with Ming's isolation very apparent, he's a tiny speck, and his scream is tiny in the vastness of space. Cut to black, credits, uh, and, and, and there you have it. Uh, there, there's your Flash Gordon too. Um, and I don't really, believe it or not, have a tagline. Um, I just thought, like, you know, you can say something like, you know, from the terror of the caves, the witch queen came. Something really basic and, pulp, you know, basic and pulpy like that. Nothing with necessarily much panache or flair, but something fairly, you know, yeah. Can Flash Gordon survive the power of the ultimate witch queen? Something like that, you know, monsters and jungles, that sort of thing. So, so there you go, Jimmy. And I will say, um, there is a Splash Gordon three in this universe a few years later. And all I know is Ming comes back as the main villain, and that's all I've got. But that happens in about three years after this. So there you are. But maybe it's not as well received. This one's huge. The, the one before is still the one everyone's like, well, you can't beat the original, which is true. Flipping heck, Sheppy. I mean, of all the follow that's, if, if I had my way, I would just say, lovely, let's just bloody call it there. That's fine. We've done it. We've got the sequel to Flash. I, I think, man, you need to bloody, like, write the novel of that. There's a lot there, Sheppy, not just in the descriptions of the deaths and how the Witch Queen is bloody killing people and stuff, but like, there's some proper dense shit in there, man. Like you really thought that through in a way that could just be really fully fleshed out in a really freaking deep and gripping novel with a bit of campy fun to be sprinkled in too. But then you were really, um, I've got some little bullets here I just wanted to mention before we move on to one. So like, so just even before like, um, <laughs> you were talking about blessed and like, you know, having a catchphrase and all that sort of stuff, almost with the Gordon's Alive, you know, and not bringing that back yeah. in. But let's call this Baron here has got like two things at least. You know, you brought another bitch in, which is amazing. <laughs> so he pulled back from the first one for adults and then bastards as well. I mean, you do it better than me, but adults and bastard is amazing. It's perfect. That sort of little Welsh lilt that he's got. Good God bless him. Um, so that's wonderful. The shark man is just a brilliant touch. And um, so is the red sword from the comic as well then, or did you make that up? It's from the original, yes. yes yeah, it's from okay. the 30s. And I don't know, because I know that in terms of the comic and so on, it ran for such a long time, decades and decades. There were lots of adventures in Mongo and the realms of Mongo for our heroes. And then at a certain point, they made it back to Earth and there was a whole run, like a while, maybe years, of them all having adventures on Earth. So the Red Sword was certainly a major villain during that. Um, and I don't know anything about them apart from this, this fascist organisation. It's um, a great name so. for a fascist organisation, isn't it? It's yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. I, um, 
<laughs> when it comes to a re-listenership, you're going to chuckle yourself. You throw in a few, uh, some more water wankers here and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> like, amazing. Amazing. I like the Ming twist. I saw it come in because you've got cider yeah. at the beginning. I thought, yeah, of course, yeah. it's going to be the Shyman, but... Um, yeah, and, uh, and I, I I always admire your discipline not to do the thing that I would do, which is always the obvious, but like basically just not having um, uh, Bud and uh, Byron both sort of, oh, sorry, Bud and Flash having their moment where they're like, hey, Bud's like, I've just met this amazing girl, like, you know, and, and Flash is <laughs> like, oh yeah, I got an amazing girl waiting back for me too. And like, you know, of course it's the same girl, you know. That's the rewrite. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> yes, it's got to happen. I mean, it's like, how long do you wait before you, I mean, why would him, Duck, wait, you know, I so before him, not Bud, Duck, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> That's, I mean, that I wouldn't call him Duck by choice, but that's his name. It's Baron Duck Tower. You got some good duck Tala. puns in there as well, Shep. Some yeah. good duck moments, which is happy. So yeah, nice. I'm, I'm not proud of it, but what can you do? The studio. <laughs> All right, man. Well, look, brilliant. Thank you. And to any Flash fan out there, they will be, I'm sure, very chuffed, Sheppy. Very chuffed. I would suggest movie uh, fans and comic enthusiasts will be very, very happy indeed. Can I just say huge apologies to those groups? Oh, please. <laughs> no, 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 Sheppy. Yes. <laughs> yes. I need to apologise to the um, Sam J. Jones family, to the estates <laughs> that looks after the Flash Gordon comics. I didn't look at any research, any characters, anything like that. I've just got off on my own little world, which has got some sprinkles of Superman 3, some sprinkles of Star Trek <laughs> 4, the voyage home, some sprinkles, sprinkles. Like, it's just, it's it's an I'm absolute so schmozzle oh, of chaos. It sounds and like Christmas, Jimmy. It sounds like <laughs> Christmas wrapped in a puppy. I cannot bloody wait. Well, okay, 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 here we go. We've got Flash Gordon Lives is the name of mine. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I thought of that before I even rewatched the movie. I thought, no, that would be a cool sequel title, given the Gordon's Alive, you know, uh, canon oh, name. didn't even think um, of that. Amazing. And um and 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 then then I sort of actually wobbled and was going to call it Flash Gordon colon King of the Impossible, but then I've gone back to Flash Gordon lives. So anyway, uh, 1982, Sheppy, we've got. I'll give you your Sam J. Jones, your Melody Anderson as Dale, Max back as Ming, um, Topple back as Zarkov, um, Muti, <laughs> Muti back as Princess Aura. Dalton is Baron, blessed Dalton. <laughs> and then I'm going to give you three other people that are in it. I'm not going to give you their character names. It's not super um, specific, but I just, I'll sprinkle them in when they come. But just to let you know, you will get appearances from Julie Haggerty, Bruce Willis, and <laughs> Jasper Carrot. So just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the big three. Oh, he's gone and done it. The crazy bastard, he's gone and done it. That's amazing. Wow. 1982 Bruce Willis I'm saying yeah I looked it up look he's not a movie star yet by any means and if anything he's just sort of really kind of doing bits and bobs and it is it's I not advice. even a role it's not even a role it's it's the role that you know comes back on before they were famous he was an extra and he no it's, it's like line, a Kevin you know? Bacon getting yeah. stabbed up in 
in yeah. Friday the 13th. It's like, oh, Bruce Willis. Yeah, he was in Miami Vice and he was in Flash Gordon too. Flash <laughs> Gordon lives. Is it Flash Gordon lives with an exclamation mark? Oh, no, I'm not putting an exclamation mark. I don't there. know why, but I'm not, I'm not doing it. I respect that. Uh, now, I debated, I haven't done this beginning, but I'll just give you a quick throwaway. It makes me chuckle that um, the pre, if you actually watch closely that, that sort of pre-credits sting of like the blood suddenly going zoom over the ring and then like the mm. cackle and the arm reaching for the ring, right? With your question mark, like the ring must be on the floor somewhere near where they all are at the end, having their nice ending. Like, so there's an element where you could almost like pick up the exact seconds that the movie finishes and they're having a happy time. And then they're like, what's that chuckling? Oh, oh. <laughs> just right there. If it was Joss Whedon, then he would just immediately get his head chopped off. He'd be like, ha, 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 uh, that would be a hell of a way to start the film. Like, um, funny that he did it when we were standing right here. <laughs> so, look, I haven't started that way, but I was tempted to. Um, instead, we're going to have, you know, our, our newly elected king, uh, Baron, enjoying himself a bit. So we'll go with a six months later is, is broadly where we're, we're pitching this. I, I think I said Hodges is back directing 1982 um, and we open cold open not quite the same as you did with the, the spacey bit but still it's it's a pre-cred um the news a news report um a, a, a an earth news report with some images of the cleanup operation that's been happening since the you know the meteors and the earthquakes and the um and all the rest of it that nearly brought about devastation and we just have a little snippet of that. And then in the sports element of the news today, um, the New York Jets losing streak continues as fears grow for the missing quarterback star, Flash Gordon. And that's kind of part of the news report. Screen crackles a little bit. We pull away from the screen and it's actually in a sort of a, a Mongolian lab that's been set up for Zarkov. And he's been watching um, Earth News from his lab while he works on a portal hope. Um, I, this is, it goes into it, Sheppy. You know, for the novel side of what you've just done, man, you've really thought about the experiment Zarko was doing to really try and like be able to tap into this. Bottom line is, for me, he's working on a, on a portal hope and he's nearly there. Sure. Um, and at that point, like that he's he's working just a little queen dun, 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 dun. it's just starting up you know what i mean We're building for our little credits and um, we then cut to flash who's training for again you know, heartbreaking That's death nice. of yours by the way um um training uh the hawkman to play american football um but they just keep carrying the ball through the air instead of throwing it to each other like that and, <laughs> and um and he's like you know you've got to you've got to throw it guys you know and you've got to throw it and there's one called clausy or something you know who's like keeps you know you release the ball clausy release the ball <laughs> and then um, and then dale arrives and um and looks on adoringly at flash as he's doing the training and she's like, Flash. isn't it interesting that we both exactly <laughs> do you Same. think that's because we watched a lot of episodes of Defenders of the Earth? And that's that's <laughs> our in. And that's the beginning of every episode of Defenders of the Earth. I think it must be. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's something about how things have to play out a little bit in these moments, yeah, isn't there? Yeah. These... I love it. And um love it. 
And anyway, she gives it the flash, hurry, you'll have to get ready for the feast. And then Flash gives her, and I've done exactly the same way, and Flash gives her a cheesy Dale like that after she said it. <laughs> exactly. Well, there you go. It greets you can't everybody. beat City Hall. And as he says it, the ball whacks him in the side of the head. Like, and, uh, nice and he's like, pull back. Exactly. And he's like, nice one, Clausey. And then just collapses. Like, but then it's, <laughs> it's not like a, you know, it's not like a Star Trek uh, Scotty banging his head. And <laughs> he's like, actually knocked out. Yeah. And so anyway, we have a big feast still with our little pre-cred building building. Um, King Baron um, and, you know, Dalton's giving a lovely, you know, throaty Welsh speech here. Today we celebrate the pre-feast of the wedding of them and all this sort of stuff. And and Dale and Flash and Sarkov are sat together. They're still kind of in the same crew within the um, the, the whole Mongolian setup and all that sort of stuff. And um, with the various, I guess, kingdoms represented. I haven't really got into all of that. But Dale asks Sarkov, "How's the portal going?" And Sarkov is like, "Still on track to complete after the wedding, and uh, it, is, it is nearly ready, my dear. It just needs a few more, a few more tests." And Dale's like, "You know, I need to get back to my old heels. These things are killing me, sort of thing. You know, that kind of line." Um, but during the feast, the clouds darken and Princess Aura um, is, says to Baron, you know, something is off, I feel it. And then um, a sinister, familiar chuckle cackles through the air as people are enjoying their, uh, their food. Um, and Dale says, Flash, I'm scared. And Zarko says, me too. <laughs> and then, uh, um, <laughs> and uh, King Baron uh, meets Flash's eye across the tables, you know, and, and he give, uh, put, gives it that pure Dalto look where he breathes out through his nose as well. Like, you know, what I mean? <laughs> you know <laughs> Timothy Dalton has never smoked a cigarette without doing the dragon breath, like you know what I mean? <laughs> through, the nose, through the nostrils. But, um, and then um, we hear Ming's voice saying, people of Mongo, it is your true ruler, more powerful than before. And, um, and blessed, Brian blessed, as uh, Bolton gives it a, Ming's alive? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. yes. There was my little play on it. And then, oh, uh, yes, please. And then we cut to Flash. Dun, 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 ah, and we have the whole exactly like you did with all the, the cartoony bits and stuff, the comic strips. And we get bits from the movie to come here, Sheppy. So we get like Flash versus a giant space octopus. We also get, I've just put two snippets, so the giant space octopus and then Flash versus Ming battling on the crown of the Statue of Liberty as well. Oh, amazing. Um, and um, wow. At the end of the credits, we see um, a uh, a point of view shot, like just from the credits within in space. Actually, funnily enough, um, again, and then um, and we've got red swirly borders, so with Ming's point of view, and he's rushing through space, and then kind of zooms into Mongo, and then manifests in full regalia, huge. Um, big old collar like he has uh, in one of his outfits and flesh got a bit he is uh i'm gonna say crucially which is a ridiculous thing to say which you'll find out later but he's basically in that big collar outfit um the whole time in this one um, and um and and then including in this particular costume just for purists and for those that want to buy the statue afterwards He's got a wee patch on it where he was impaled in the first one. So it's just, it's just acknowledged, do you know what I mean, in a little way. Like, nice. you know, there's just something there protecting him. I don't know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, as a little, he, 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 you know, flesh got him a little bit. Um, yeah. And, um, and Ming looks at King Baron with his daughter, you know, and gives it, I see you wasted no time. And, um, and Baron says, Ming, 
you should know you have a grandson on the way, an heir to the throne, the people of Monga, we're, we're thriving in peace. And Ming looks at his daughter, looks at the little bump of aura and just says, you really wasted no time. And then he looks to Flash and says, you fool, Flash, you should have taken my offer when you had a chance. Which, by the way, we didn't mention, is an electric scene when he's offering yes. him the chance. It's a really good scene when he offers him the chance to be. And it's so know, good to have her. it. It's so, yeah, thank God they did. They had that moment. And, um, and then Flash says, you know, for, you know, Ming, your people are happy too. They, they, they won't come back to you like that. And Ming just says, my dear boy, I don't require their free will. And he just twists his fingers and all the troops flip and become evil again. Like, you know, oh, and, wow. and, and hold everyone hostage. And wow. so all the people that used to be Ming's troops are kind of, kind of back to being Ming's troops again. And um, and they hold them hostage so that we can get some awesome Von Sido exposition is what I put. So, <laughs> so he just kind of tours around the feast, perhaps picking some grapes, throwing them into his mouth <laughs> and catching them as he talks to them all, you know. And he says, Gordon, I should be thanking you. Whilst I was away, I became aware I'm not as powerful as I have the potential to be. And this is where I just bloody, whatever, this is obviously not canon. And he just said he needs a specific gemstone to realize his full power. Um, And the only way to achieve this gemstone is to pass three challenges. And he says, and Ming says, you know, I don't have time for such activities. these need mobility, strength, bravery. And there's a little twinkle in his eye and Flash immediately says, what makes you think I'll do it? But and he's so earnest about it. No one really cares. He's actually being very arrogant. Looking at and um, and then just gives it another flick and so and uh, and so and, and a massive cage comes down on um, all of the guests, basically trapping them in this cage. Um, and I don't know with the staging of this, Flash has sort of pulled himself forward and away from them, but suddenly everybody else is now then trapped in a cage that's kind of quite dense bamboo right or something. You know, it's it's kind of like old school, but it's tough or whatever, and they can't get out of it. And um, he says, because I'll kill your friends if you don't. And uh, and basically, the floating globe robot, who, by the way, I put here, who might be my favourite character, um, says, <laughs> that floating globe robot is going to follow you so I can keep tabs on you as well. Um, but also then, of course, Flash's exploits are going to play on a big old screen and give chances for everyone to go, hey, go, Flash, go, from the ground nice. as he goes through these challenges. So there's three stages uh, in play. Um, he ever put huge opportunity for the cheering from the crowd as Flash, as Flash performs his heroic deeds. So the first stage, and I haven't really gone off on one of these, but the first stage is just um, he gets on his jet ski thingy, <laughs> whatever that little weird shaky thing, where he does the, <laughs> the good little um, ploy to, to get them into the clouds. And so yes. he's got to dodge some asteroids, Empire Strikes Back style on that. So he's got to get through an asteroid field on the jet I, ski. I should say it's a rocket cycle. Flying blind on a rocket cycle. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, of course it is. Lovely. So he's on his rocket cycle and he's just got to dodge some asteroids. That's stage one. Um, Then he parks that up and there's a massive swamp with fire fish, literally fish that are on fire, that skip out of the water en masse, like, you know, when flying fish do it. And they they burn (laughs) you up. So he's got to do, he's got to navigate that swamp stepping Eddie Murphy golden child style between <laughs> stumps of like trying yeah. to dodge the flying firefish and wow. between platforms. Can one stump be a giant turtle? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 
And then the final stage is the octopus monster. And um, Flesh has navigated the swamp, gets to that point, and it doesn't turn up at first. And um, and the crowd are obviously giving commentary all along with the go, Flesh, go, and all this sort of stuff. And then um, and then maybe one of the guys in the crowd just says, maybe it's dead. Maybe the octopus is already dead like that. And um, and and the gem that you know Ming needs is sitting there. So Flash picks it up, and um, and and as he picks it up, there's a huge entrance and huge tentacles come up, and of course, there's this huge wow. octopus, and um, and the octopus has a very brummy voice, and the octopus <laughs> is going to be voiced by Jasper Karen. <laughs> Oh, I thought that'd be a really nice juxtaposition to add to that little British yes. flavour. <laughs> and um and Jasper Carrot in my worst brummy accent. I'm gonna blame the COVID accent on this as well, though, it but it's like, <laughs> all right, Flash, heard a lot about you, mate. It's an honor to meet you, it really is. <laughs> the Flash is really it. gives it the all shucks, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and he's not really uh, a fan, you know, and he goes, Yeah, well, look, um, I've come for the gem like that. And, uh, you know, I've come for the gem because Ming's back. And uh, the octopus says, Ming? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, bummer. So <laughs> she goes, is it okay if I take this? And, uh, and Jasper as the octopus goes, sure. But I'm going to have to try and eat you, mate. Sorry. <laughs> He's turned into Paul McCartney. I don't know why, but anyway. And, uh, and of course, it turns into a big old tentacle tussle with the octopus. And oh. um, Chapter 17, but... tentacle tussle. <laughs> yeah and flash emerges with stone of course and um and dale like screams from below you know flash i love you and i i wish i well i wish i'd loved you more like that and uh brian blessed and uh bolton and uh barona and just um either side of her and and bolton says telling me you know gordon and you have not consummated yet and, uh, and Dale just says I'm not that sort of girl and Bolton yeah. just looks at Dalton like you know gives him a little funny like man to man look it's just a little silly side plot I've got going through this that they haven't actually managed to have sex yet uh, because I she's a good Christian Voltaire's girl face so much <laughs> yeah. and he looks at Baron with that expression that I even went like at least three or four times in that film uh, especially in Ming's throne room so that's yeah I can see it so clearly it's been like, um, are you getting this? Um, and then, so of course, then flashes uh, back over the flying firefish, back through the asteroids, back to Mongo Palace. Um, Ming takes the stone, um, which is bright green gem, um, and uh, and he holds it in his hand and absorbs the power. And as he does, the stone loses its color and energy and becomes a pebble. And Ming drops it, and. Um, and Flash says, now, Ming, let everyone go and get back to wherever it is the hell you came from. And um, and Ming flicks his wrist and Gordon is flung to the wall. And Ming flicks his wrist again. And um, Gordon's clothes are gone, leaving him in black lace <laughs> pants. I meant to ask you when, when Flash was jettisoned into space, whether he got his black latex pants on, latex pants on again, yeah. which he has in his yeah. most dangerous situation. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yes, it's true. And yes, he was wearing <laughs> Um, Princess talk Laura, about that... chafe oh my god unbelievable the costume choices um, Princess Aura is like father please and um, 
and Ming dismisses her like you know and uh, and they're all still in their cage but um but Ming like flicks his fingers or whatever and Zarkov is out of the cage and he says Zarkov take me to this portal of yours you've been working on and then um, he says to the, the assembled you know gathering like you know your fates will come soon enough but I want you to watch me finish the job I started before and suck the life from this godforsaken planet and um and he looks at Dale, you know, and says, pity, we could have had such a wonderful hour or two of happiness together. And um, the um, Princess Aura sort of manages somehow to pivot, to wriggle free from this sort of bamboo caging and um, and runs at her dad. And he pivots and I put just carbonates her like Han Solo style oh, yeah. and like just boom into the wall and just says, you can wait till I'm back. And um, so Zarkov and Ming go to Zarkov's Mongo lab and um, plug in the coordinates that Zarkov's been working on, and everything aligns. Now, uh, and Ming says, you first, and Zarkov steps in, then Ming steps through as well. Now, Sheppy. To this point, you might be thinking to yourself, Jimbo, what's the big problem here? It's not too far off where it can't make my have gone. But just hold on to your hat, because this is where, like, 11-year-old Jimmy takes over. So, oh, okay, <laughs> right. When they step through um, to the portal, they're back in Zarkov's Earth lab. It makes sense. That's kind of perhaps where you might be able to tether to or something. Um they see the wreckage. They see the wreckage of the plane. They see um, the body of the pal Munson, you know. Oh, so, shit. Uh, and Ming looks down at it and just says, cold-blooded. Nice. So then he's suddenly a bit impressed with Sarko. <laughs> and then he looks around. Uh, obviously, you, you said that it's kind of in Greater New York area or whatever, you know, like the, um, you know, he's unimpressed basically Ming by what he's seeing and he just says this this is what Gordon was fighting for and then Zarkov suddenly spots a chance to try and manipulate uh, Ming and he says no 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 not this Ming I need to take you to the heart of our civilization let me get you to Washington and um and Ming says well where is what is this Washington how does one get to it and um and Zarkov is like well let me show you just how primitive we are and Zarkov hails a truck on the side of the road that's coming along. And we have this setup of, uh, you know, truck driver, Zarkov on the passenger seat, and Ming in the middle in the cabin at the front. <laughs> and the truck driver, who I haven't even cast, let's just say it's bloody John Candy or someone, um, it's like, hey, it's a bit early for Halloween, like that, you know, and Ming is just looking just cold, dead, <laughs> road, you know, and, uh, and then he's like, your buddy doesn't talk too much, and, uh, and then, um, and Zarkov just says, be grateful he hasn't tried to wipe you, and, uh, and the truck driver, John Candy, <laughs> goes, <laughs> just looks at Zarkov, like, really alarmed, and just says, there's going to be no bathroom stops, <laughs> Um <laughs> So um, we're back on Mongo and the crew are making progress at trying to escape from this elaborate cage. Um, and um, and Volton and Byron kind of take Flash to one side. Um, as Flash is like, you know what he's like, he's sort of grunting and trying to lift it and being all like, you know, heroic. <laughs> and he just, uh, and they just speak to Flash and just say, you, you and Dale, is everything okay? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and Flash just says, look, it's a, it's a bit hard at the moment, guys. And uh, <laughs> Volton and Byron look at each other and just goes, yeah, we can imagine, we can imagine. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So back to Ming and Zarkov, they've reached DC, 
Um, and Zarkov is like, this is the White House, Ming. This is the center of um, all democracy and all this sort of stuff. And Ming just sort of looks at it and just says, pitiful, and is about to laser beam it with his ring. And um, Zarkov is like, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Before you do, before you destroy everything, how about a final drink? And um, and then we cut back, and uh, and the gang are um, are managing to um, to get the, uh, the 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 cage up a little bit, and and they they escape. And I don't know how they do that specifically, but you know they escape. They release Princess Aura from the carbonite, and we come back to Washington, and um, Zarkov has taken Ming to a bar, um, and Ming's all like, you know, make a quick Zarkov, and. Um, and but while they're in the bar, Ming is presented with a beer by a smiling Julie Haggerty as a bar lady. I'm just going to call nice. her Julie for sake of argument. And I can imagine Ming's expression changing slightly as he sort of takes the beer off her, you know, and he's sort of because of course he'd be tempted by any lady, really. Anyway, it's <laughs> one of his big motivations. And um, and and Ming like takes the beer and just says, Zarkov, what is this? It smells disgusting. And Zarkov says, it's not like Mongolian wine, Ming. You should you should try it like that. And, uh, and Julie says to Ming, "I like your cape." <laughs> you know, so like basically, <laughs> Ming is in with Julie, the bar lady. I'm getting um, the Star Trek voyage home vibe. Absolutely, absolutely. loving it. <laughs> so the gang are in Mongo, and they're in Zarkov's lab trying to work out how to turn the portal on. And um, or perhaps you know Zarkov's left them some breadcrumbs or whatever as well. But um, but anyway. Flash says, you know, because it's all very heightened and everyone's very stressed, obviously, because what Ming's capable of. And Flash kind of says to the group, you know, and this is a bit of a Last Crusade gag, obviously, shit. But just, <laughs> Flash says, do you have any idea the danger that Zarkov is in right now? He's probably dead and Earth with him. We cut back to the bar. <laughs> Ming and Zarkov are on beer bottle number seven. And Ming is saying to Zarkov... You have to understand, Zaki, all those terrible things I did. That was our culture. <laughs> Zarkov says, of course it was, Mingle, of course it was. And then they both kind of start laughing. And then uh, Ming's like, now, Zaki, let me get this straight. You tricked him into coming with you, Gordon. Amazing. And then Ming's sort of clouds and he gets a bit more somber and a bit more like pissed and sad and he says is there really no room for redemption for an old space god tyrant like me you know i'm going to be a grandfather now and Zarkov just says i heard i heard <laughs> you know how people stare into space and say that stuff. yeah <laughs> um so the back in uh Mongolia, <laughs> the opens. flash and the crew are through into Zarkov's lab on earth um and, um, and they look around and they're looking to see if they can find clues as to where Zarkov and Ming might have gone. We cut back to the bar and we've got a shot of Ming's face, massive collar, and, um, and he's just looking very serious. And then out of nowhere from the side of the screen, a beer mat just comes and lands in his collar. <laughs> and, um, and, um, 
and then right. uh, Zarkov just says, Mingy, I'm going to have to stop taking your money very soon. <laughs> the next beer mat comes swooping through and instead it hits Ming in one of the eyebrows and his eyes flash red for the biggest beat of like he's going to kill him. And then like it like calms down again. And then you hear Zarkov just say, double or nothing? <laughs> <laughs> And um and Flash and Co have made their own way, but actually have gone to New York City instead, assuming they might be there. And while they're in New York, Flash gets mobbed with fans saying, "Flash, you're alive! You should be at the Super Bowl. What are you doing?" You know, and then kind of talking about Baron and all the crew and Aura and everything. Who are these guys? Cool costumes, etc. And but the point is, you're in, all in great danger, you know. So they've got that kind of mission still going about them. So. We are back to the bar. Um, Ming is building some serious chemistry with Julie. Um, this could be true love. Someone in the bar says, hey, it's Flash Gordon. And over on the bar TV news, um, the, 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 the news of the day is saying Flash has been spotted in New York. And, um, and then there's that shaky cam, you know, and this is Bruce Willis, the reporter, <laughs> saying, um, wow. anything to say to the fans, Flash? And Flash grabs the camera and sort of says direct into it, Ming, wherever you are, we're coming for you. And, um, and then he releases the, the camera and Bruce Willis kind of says back into the screen, is it Ming, is he, a, is he a football player? We don't, we don't know. But all eyes are on the big game tonight. That's, that's Bruce Willis's big moment. And then, and then, um, and of course, Ming and Zarkov have seen this. And Zarkov says, "We'll go." Still pissed, you know. But we'll go to him. I'll explain everything. Ming is good. Ming is going to be okay. And um, and Ming says, "You know, do we have to use that infernal metal beast to get there again?" And uh, and Zarkov says, "No, of course not." So Ming just clicks his fingers, and the three of them are transported to New York. And, and immediately where the gang all are. So Zarkov tries to convince everybody that Ming wants to change, um, but no one is believing him. And there is a huge epic finale tussle um, between Baron, Volton, Aura and Flash, all of them versus Ming. And Ming is managing to hold them all off with cool moves and tumbles. And I put through the subway, the air, the Statue of Liberty. That's our little moment from the credits. Um, it's more action-packed than the end of the first Avengers I've put. So there's your weeding again. Um, and, um, and it culminates in Baron and Volton unconscious and Aura unconscious. None of them dead. He's been managing to keep them alive, Ming, with his moves. And, um, and Flash is pinned on the rocks um, below the Statue of Liberty by Ming. And Ming is holding a huge rock in the air in his palm. Um, and you'd think, if you were looking at the still of it in the credits, um, he uh, would be bringing that down on Gordon. Instead, he uses his magical forcey power that we saw with the gemstone to turn the rock um, from rock into a diamond, Superman 3 style. No. <laughs> Hands the diamond to Flash and says, this is for you, for Dale. Here I've just put oh. happy, happy in those shippy terms. That's nice. And um, the world's been watching from the shore and is now aware of these super beings or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> and Flash dusts himself off and gives Dale the ring. And Dale says, Flash, I love you. And I want to jump into bed with you. But we only yeah. have 30 minutes before you're due to play in the Super Bowl. <laughs> so... <laughs> So Flash plays in the Super Bowl, and of course, I only need five, honey. 
and um, they're playing the Super Bowl. And of course, we've got Bolton and his Hawkmen in the sky giving it a go, flash go for the New York Jets oh, and stuff yeah. as they're playing. And then we end with a double wedding right there in the stadium um, with uh, Bolton and, uh, oh, sorry, I put Bolton, I meant Baron. Baron and Flash being each other's best men. And also <laughs> not marrying each other. <laughs> yeah. And then we cut to the um, Dale is in the honeymoon suite. She's making herself ready for their first night. And of course, as she does that, we pan and we see Flash on the bed, knackered, snoozing, oh, asleep nice. in the bed. And Dale goes over to the bed, smiles, lays her head on his chest and whisper, whispers, oh, Flash. And then oh. Flash opens one eye with a wry smile. And she feels, shall we say, Dale feels, shall we say, something. <laughs> and we just hear her, <laughs> oh, Flash. And then Freddie Mercury kicks in with a, He's a miracle. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Gordon really is alive. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Wow. Well, I didn't see any of that coming. And no, I don't know I don't about an 11 anybody. year old Jimmy, but it made me very happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm extremely happy. I, what a none twist. of the wonderful world building you did, Sheppy. That, that was truly wonderful. I love oh, it. It was that. great. No, no, that, that was that was a treat. That was uh, that was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for Ming and Cop. I don't know. It's exactly the yeah. kind of thing we'd have done as kids in the playground. Like, do you know what I mean? We really yes. got off of one yes. of the bar so much. Yeah. When the beer so mat much. landed in the collar, I felt very happy. <laughs> yeah, but, um, that's. You don't get more pure than that. That's no. that's good stuff, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> wonderful. All right, man. Well, look, I better set us something for next week oh, yes, so that you can uh, go to bed. And um, I'm, I'm a bit of hand-wringing on this one. On one hand, I'm excited, and sometimes I'm not excited about it. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, nice. I'm going to pull up the bed. <laughs> I always now. love this moment so much. <laughs> I'm telling you that to prolong the moment, to elongate the moment. But I love this moment so much. <laughs> well, let me say as well, I don't think we've done too many times where we've actually replaced do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, oh, yeah. you could argue maybe, like, you know, we did a different, we, we replaced Diamonds Are Forever, but I don't think that would be fair. Yeah. I don't think we've or really... Jaws, perhaps. Yeah, that was the one, probably. And it's a little bit mean-spirited for us to do that sort of thing. But I think this one's just It's just a what-if. Well. It's just it's a, a what-if, you know. No disparaging comments towards, in that case, Jaws 3, or even Diamonds. It's just a what-if, and they both can't exist. It's a time cop, one of them. Both can't exist at the same time. Sometimes we do, like my Die Hard, for example, is before Die Hard 2. Um, yeah. They're both in a snowstorm, but what can we do? That's uh, fine. <laughs> so, um, look, this is not going to be, this is one that I think you would have perhaps, it won't be a super surprise because you'd have thought one day we'd do it, I'm sure. <laughs> it's probably might even be on your long list as well. So, Sheppy, I would like your. Rocky Five, please. I want your Ooh. sequel to Rocky Four. I want to see whether you can give me a film that would then mean we'd have got another four Rockies into the nineties. You know what I mean? Like, wow. what, what? What is your Rocky Five? Yeah, that's amazing. And we that's have amazing. a personal hilarious story with it as well too. So it's all happy, and we can take a moment to talk about how much we love the character and all that stuff. And like Jimmy, this. what a treat! And I am here to tell you. Some of the things, like, for example, Vacation and Three Men and A, were on my long list, but, you know, right from, the, you know, like, maybe I would have got to it eventually, maybe not. 
but Rocky, I never ever thought about. This is very, very fresh meat, and I'm, I'm very excited <laughs> indeed. Indeed, Jimmy, I'm loving it. Nice, Sheps. Well, that, that, that's all for next time. In the meantime, how do we sign off for Gordon Pod, Sheps? Do you say, well, I guess that's the end, but you do a burgundy, and you're like, I guess that's the end? <laughs> that, does, that, does that work? Does that, is it, does it, does it even convey the going up? Because to my mind, I just sounded like a violin. I broke oh, it was lovely. It was straight off the auto cue. It was happy. <laughs> <laughs> Long live Flash. You've saved your life. Have a nice day. Yeah!